0: to another episode of the Universe Within Podcast. This episode of the show is being sponsored by the Amazonian plant healing center, the temple, of the way of light. I've worked at the temple for about the past decade now, and I can really attest to the quality of the work that they do. Predominantly, they're working with the plant medicine, ayahuasca, uh, working in a lineage of the shipibo people, which is a group of people who have a very long lineage of working with these plants. They're located in the Peruvian Amazon outside the city of Iquitos, and they offer 12 day workshops, uh, working with six ceremonies, um, four different healers or doctors, coranderos, Uh, I believe three different facilitators now Um, they have an amazing support staff working with yoga teachers massage therapists bone doctors an amazing integration staff so it's a really uh, an amazing place to go and to experience this work and to go really deeply into the the healing the learning uh, benefits that these plants not just ayahuasca but really working within a whole pharmacopoeia of different plant medicine uh, have to offer so if you'd like. Like more information about them you can check out their website at templeofthewayoflight.org and they are up and running again after a very long hiatus due to the pandemic they're open again and receiving guests also myself and my colleague marav artsy who i interviewed i believe in episode 28 of the show are continuing to run diets Uh, Our next one is coming up uh, very soon in the Sacred Valley, the entire month of September, and that's a really beautiful opportunity to go deep into the world of plant medicine, going into a period of isolation, fasting, and working with one plant to really experience all of the the healing, the learning, the teaching that these plants have to offer. Uh, We work mainly within a tradition that we were trained in, but also combining different modalities. Uh, Also, my guest for today uh, was trained in a similar lineage, um, and so that's a, a really beautiful opportunity to, to do this work or to continue to do this work if it's something you've done before. Um, for more information about that, you can check out my website at nicotianarustica.org and also Marav's site at tobaccodiets.com. My guest for today is my friend Ben. Uh, We, as I said, did a very similar training. He's a a very fascinating guy. We've been connecting more uh, kind of via online, uh, share a lot of similar interests and passions. And uh, he's a really fascinating guy, really interesting story. He's uh, studied different shamanic traditions from all over the world. He also has a background in martial arts, uh, traditional Chinese medicine, acupuncture, Uh, working with tobacco, ayahuasca, just a a lot of different plants and modalities. Uh, And we got into a really deep conversation. It went, I think, three and a half hours we touched on all sorts of different topics, on, on different shamanic uh, traditions and paths, on tobacco, ayahuasca, plant medicine. Uh, we also got into the, the the current world situation a bit. Uh, so for me, it was a really interesting conversation. I, I knew we'd have a really in- interesting conversation because uh, he is a, a, a very interesting and complex guy. Um, so I think and hope you guys will get a lot out of this episode. We we covered a, a real breadth of different topics, and uh, and I think there's a lot to learn from this one. So as always if you're able to support the podcast that's a really big help to me patreon is a really good option uh, for as little as a dollar a month you can sign up there's different tiers you can sign up for uh, it's also working with this idea of reciprocity so by giving you also get some things back things like early access to shows bonus material Q&A's and that's a really big help to me to continue to be able to make these podcasts to bring on these guests to all the people who have done that thank you very much I, I really appreciate it and if you are able to do that thank you in advance. Um, There's also the option of direct donating via PayPal. I'll put a link to those in the show notes. Uh, Now with YouTube, there's also the option to join the channel and receive a lot of the same perks as Patreon, but doing it via YouTube. Um, If you're not able to do that, simply subscribing to the show is a really big help on the YouTube channel. Subscribing to the show, turning on the notification bell, liking the video, that's a really big help with the algorithms to get the show out to a bigger audience. With the audio version, uh, still, the biggest one is Apple Podcasts. Also, following or subscribing to the show and leaving a starred rating and a short review. That's also a really big help. So, I think that's it. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Ben. Running up from the maze.
1: Running up from the maze. Running out of the maze. Today. Running out from the maze. Running out from the maze. Running up from the
2: maze to am Running up from the maze. I'm running up from the maze. Run out of the maze to die. it's official okay. now. <laughs> official, here we are. Well, cool, brother. It's good to it's good to see you. We were chatting a little bit before we started recording, and and we we're just yep. sharing. We we have some mutual friends. We we've been on a very similar journey. Um, I know of you through my my colleague Marav, who who I I do a lot of work with, and she spoke very highly of you i think as you said we had met very briefly but somehow our paths never really crossed in that in that crazy mecca which is called the quitos um yeah <laughs> mecca slash part of darkness depending on yeah, so. <laughs> um so maybe to get started uh maybe just telling the audience a bit about your background who who you are where you came from and then kind of the journey that led you to, to do the work you're doing
1: yeah cool so um yeah thanks for having me on by the way it's great podcast like i was um really thinking somebody needs to do something like this and and especially as you have indigenous healers on i think that's so important you know to give them a voice it's it's fantastic and some of those podcasts are just incredible so people need to go back and listen but um yeah so um my story is a fairly long one and, and and we were speaking before that you know uh we've got time so that's that's good but um so I'm going to slowly walk through this and, you know, as I was saying to you before, I'd really like to uh, tell this story, not to sort of, not to sort of fantasize or um, to sort of, uh, you know, create create some uh, amazing image of myself, but to, to really show people that there's this um, amazing magic in the world and sort of give people some inspiration. Um, so... Um, I think your your video is frozen again just to let you know okay. but um, yeah so and, and, and in this story um, you know I think you know I've never really told it before because I think some of the elements sound a bit far-fetched so you know I'm telling this really for the first time so if people could just have an open mind and an open heart when listening to this story and just you know you don't have to believe it you just um, maybe take the lessons from it or take from it what you will so you know from a young age i guess i had um, you know lots of different experiences that was um lots of lots of incredible dreams i would get asleep at night and see kind of a neon tunnel which uh which i'd kind of fly down and have these incredible uh lucid dreams um, so i'd always been into uh spiritual things and, and the spiritual life um i think your videos again um that's all right um so and i'd also been into martial arts as well for a long time so um i did uh, judo from a young age anyway sort of in my in my uh, 20s i was practicing in kickboxing and i had a had a fight coming up, which is, you know, quite an antithesis to sort of healing work. But, you know, there we are. Um, and we sort of directionless at that time. So I, I decided that I would take a trip to Thailand and went to Thailand, did some, did some training with Thai boxing camp, which essentially entails you getting beaten up every day, uh, you know, training six hours a day. <laughs> um, and I stumbled upon this small uh, bookshop. And just kind of as, as happens, um, you know, many people speak about this, you know, books just kind of fly off shelves and into had head. And this kind of was one of those moments. And it was a book about Chinese medicine uh, and, and Chinese healing modalities. And I was, I was just scouring this book. Like, wow, this is incredible. And, um, really gave me an inspiration. I was like, right, when I go back, I'm going to study to be an acupuncturist. So that's what I did. Four years later, I became an acupuncturist and that got me more and more interested into Chinese medicine, Chinese philosophy, Chinese martial arts. So uh, I really delved deep into that and actually ultimately went, up, went to studying Chinese at university for four years, uh, uh, speaking fluent Chinese and living in China and um, actually ended up going to China sort of six, six or so uh, times. Um, And one thing I did when I went to university was uh, drink ayahuasca by myself, which I never recommend anyone to do. And maybe we can get into later why you should never do that and why you should uh, do as I say and not as I do. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, But it it remains to this day one of the most profound experiences with ayahuasca that I had. I sort of completely um, disconnected from my body and entered Uh, another realm in in a way that I completely forgot myself and came through a series of trials to kind of very center place where um, in essence, it was like a conversation with ayahuasca itself, uh, which presented as a incredible neon multi-jeweled vine, which kind of opened up in front of me. And in this sense of place, it, it allowed me to ask questions. So I asked two questions. Um, I was interested in this meditation teacher that I'd seen on a video in Java was inspired to go and see him. So I asked the question, should I or could I go and see this man? Will I find him? And the answer was, yes, you will find him. Uh, but it's a very difficult path. And the other question was, um, how do we navigate death? And the answer to that was, you need to be able to dream. You need to be able to uh, stay conscious in your dreams. So, with that, I booked a flight to Java. I thought, okay, let's just let's just try this out. Let's uh, it was more of an experimentation. I wanted to see if this intuition led anywhere. And I think you'll see in the story that, uh, you know, th- this story is about a path being led by intuition. I think I think that's really important for people to do, whatever that intuition is, whether that's used to be a plumber or carpenter or a writer, whatever that is, um, it kind of leads you along the way. So anyway, I followed this vision, this intuition to Java, um, and I ended up didn 't know where this guy was, but I had this intuition to go to this one particular city um, city of millions upon millions of people and I spoke some Chinese by that point, so I thought uh, I would go to the Chinatown um, and many years earlier i 'd studied with uh, a Taoist a monk in, in China who taught me this meditation on the heart it was a kind of a gruelling meditation. I, I would um experience a lot of heat with it and that would stay with me and I would go out even in even in cold winter's days and still be hot. I mean I would be out in shorts in the snow. It was it was crazy. So it was very kind of physically grueling. But anyway, it left me with some um some kind of intuition associated with the heart. So anyway I'm arrived into uh this Chinatown and first day there and I'm just walking around the street and I'm kind of feeling into myself, into this place in my heart and I'm sort of, there's all these rows of street sellers and I'm walking along, walking along, walking I got to the last street seller on the road and suddenly my heart just kind of opened up and I I said, okay, this is the place. I just sat down, ate some food and this guy came up started talking to me and, um, you know, quite friendly and I started talking to the, uh, the people who sell the food and you know, we, we became friendly and they said, oh, come with us to the mall tomorrow. And, uh, and, you know, we'll show you around. I'm like, awesome. So I went to bed, woke up the next day. Not really a morning person anyway. And obviously with the jet lag, I woke up late. <laughs> and so I was scurrying to the, uh, the mall and I couldn't see them where they, where we said they were me. So I was just wandering around. And then I hear, Ben, it was actually the first guy I uh, this guy wasn't associated with the stall but was friends with these people and i sat down with him and i started talking and he's like oh, why don't you sit down and have a cup of tea and i was talking to him and he was he started talking about his father for no real reason and he started talking about his father had this meditation feature and something about what he said pings me and i was like this his father has been taught by the guy that i <laughs> So um, I thought, wow, incredible. So I tried my best to organize a meeting with his father. And it didn't happen for, for, you know, three or four weeks. It didn't happen for ages until the very last day (laughs) that I was there in Java. And I remember it was like something from a kung fu movie. Um, He was um, like a rich merchant. Um, so I remember going up the father's steps it was kind of you know this huge Gwen statue I don't know if you've uh, seen these but obviously associated with uh, Chinese business and I'm going up the stairs and there's like gold lacquer on on the doors and marble everywhere like very opulent and I go into this huge like darkened room with dragons everywhere and this huge like open table and the guy sat opposite me. And he was also a fortune teller apparently. And he said, Look, I can't I can't give you the teachers' details because if I do, I'm gonna get kicked out of the school. Like it's very secret, as it were, sort of hush hush. And uh, he said, I can only give you these details if um, if you have Ming and Ming is like your fate, your destiny, I see i said in chinese like you know if i'm not if i'm here because of because of destiny that's like otherwise i wouldn't be here right now and so he kind of thought for a second and wrote out this name on a piece of paper and pushed it across the table and gave it to me and, uh, and so i did end up going to see him and, and learning some things but you know that's really another story but it kind of that incident kind of really opened up my mind to the, the faculty of intuition and, you know this kind of a, awakening to a different aspect of reality that was being tapped into in that moment and you know it, and in many times in my life throughout this kind of medicine journey there's been times where it's kind of thrown me and it takes you know several months to kind of you recalibrate to your new version of reality which you Never had before, and that's you know somewhat traumatic. So, you know, so and, and through this uh, through this experience, I think um, I started to have questions, um, you know, about about reality. And that's like, well, maybe the things that I've been told about the way the world works are not really the way the world works, and maybe there's other ways that the world works that you know are worth exploring. And, you know, I was always interested in shamanism. And in one particular shaman that I'd heard about in many stories kept, that I kept coming across. Um, He's long since passed, but I'd heard of kind of apprentices that worked with him. So, you know, I really, so my next mission was to go to Peru to uh, to find an apprentice of this uh, this shaman I worked with in your camera's uh, stuck again. Um, so I did some research and found this, um, this, this girl who actually lived. She worked with this, this man who apprenticed with this shaman. I'm not going to say any names because I don't want to. <laughs> um, um, and she so happened to live one tube stop from me and was um doing like a, a, an art exhibition kind of that following week. So I was like, okay, so I organized to meet with her for a cup of tea. And she very kindly gave me the address of uh, the shaman that she works with. Um, Just gonna move my laptop over a little bit in case it is my internet that's, that's going on. And so, I had this address and I I, uh, boarded the plane to Peru. I I got a launcher from Pucalpa um, to Iquitos and actually stopped at a small village kind of in between um, at this shaman's village uh, by speedboat. So dropped off from the launchers, like a, you know, just a little what, just like a cargo. Boat where you usually have to wait about three or four days for it to <laughs> cast off while it's got the cargo, and you know, it's very slow and uh, rubbish food and all that stuff. And interesting stories can be told from those larchers. But anyway, um, <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I was dropped off by speedboat on the banks of the Amazon, you know, with my rucksack and thinking, as I always did in all these trips, I think, what the hell are you doing? Like, this is ridiculous. This is just stupid. And so I'm at the banks of the Amazon and asking around with Shaman. And uh, um, there are a few Westerners with them, one of which actually was Joey, who's had on this podcast before. So he's a, wow. he's, a, he's a beloved friend. So he's one of the first people I actually met in, uh, in Peru on my journey. Um, anyway, so I started working uh, with, with this particular Shaman. Uh, he remains probably one of the most powerful shamans i ever worked with um but as i always say you don't always want to look for the most powerful shaman. that's not always the (laughs) that's not always the best way to go um so i started and and i would also work with another shaman who was part of this mesa so you know an associated mesa you know it's like translates as table really but it's a the group of, of shamans that, you know, work together as one, one group. And they often give themselves, like, military titles, like El Capitan and, and, and different, you know, titles within that. So that's quite interesting. So I'd worked with this um, other shaman as well alongside. And in, in one, of the, one of the ceremonies, I had this very strong vision and, uh, of these little little people with huge eyes and uh, i'm sure many people have seen these little people associated with the trees and they were sort of they would as soon as i drank the cup um instantaneously they just jumped all over me and were trying to drag me somewhere else and i was very new to this and sort of, no 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 no, no, no. Stop, stop, stop 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 and they just dragged me off and i remember being pulled underneath this huge tree and just feeling like like a newborn babe, like, like a newborn lamb underneath this tree, completely protected. And they said to me, if you're ever in danger, just call on us and come back to this tree, then you'll be safe. Um, and then I would have these dreams about, about the shaman. I was working with this powerful shaman, that he was in danger, that he was going to be attacked and I remember thinking that's ridiculous Like that must be your imagination stop being making up fantasies and I would try and get it out of my head but these visions and, and dreams were extremely strong and then I remember one night uh, and look it's I'm just going to be honest in this conversation it's you know it's a difficult conversation to talk about because it's not talked about very much but I'm just going to be open about it there's a there's a good side to shamanism, but there's a negative side. Let's just call it what it is because, you know, I think we, we often get um, waylaid in the West by our own uh, imposing of, of our own archetypes, whether they come from like Hindu culture of kind of, you know, the yogi who's spiritual and aspirational or the priest, you know, but shamans are not that. Shamans are just people who work with the spirit world just like a doctor works with medicine and you know and you get some like wonderful amazing beautiful shamans and and doctors and carpenters and you get some who are not you know you wouldn't want to have a cup of tea with and um that's just the way it is um and so you know if we can get rid of that naivety i think we'll you know we were in a much safer place and I think so that's important for people to know and so I think it's important for people to know the breadth of what shamanism entails. But anyway I'm gonna talk about you know wonderful aspects as well. But um anyway so I was in this one particular ceremony he was in fact attacked and um it was extremely it was scary for him. I could perceive a lot of fear coming from him um and I and I was in this bubble, like I was told, I was beneath this tree, completely protected. And every now and again, I could kind of perceive outside this bubble and just experience this pure darkness. And they said to me that just don't go there, just sit where you are, you're in the right place, just sit underneath your tree and just be protected. So, I mean, that kind of rattled me to some extent because you've got this shaman, you know, the big bad, shaman the powerful shaman who could defeat anything And, and yet here he was kind of leveled really really leveled and i could see that he was scared and i saw the in those moments the gravity of being a corindero or being a shaman in his position and it was not a fun job you know it's um I think a lot of people aspire to that maybe or have you know ideas about that but uh the reality is very different and um so yeah i never kind of wanted to follow that path i i was well this is definitely not for me this is just terrifying and uh so soon after that like um i i left um, you know a little shaken up and I went to see a few other shamans and kind of worked around Peru I did a lot of lot of diets and, and working and uh, somewhere along the way I stumbled upon uh, somebody who really was not good like this guy was good um, but this person was really not good and um, left me with something in a ceremony which took me a long time to sort of Unravel exactly what happened to me. It was only till many years later that I had a vision of exactly what happened to me um, which was you know not to go into too much detail about it, but it was sort of a a curse on my on my heart and throughout this uh, story you 'll hear a lot about the heart I think the heart is a very incredible mystical organ, and it's there's no coincidence that every religion. Every spiritual tradition, every indigenous tradition talks about the heart as being a housing place for the for the spirit um and so you know I had many many symptoms of this uh curse um, which again you know, I could maybe go into later, but uh essentially, I knew something was deeply deeply wrong you know things were going wrong with my life, I was having terrible dreams, my health was terrible i just it just you just know. And I it sent me on a journey um, through, you know, many visions of working with different healers around the world, doing diets. Um, I did a lot of diets with British trees for many years. I It took me on a journey all around the world to uh, Colombia, to Libya, to Australia, working with Aboriginal healers, to... Every single habitable continent around the world trying to find healing and, and following visions um, that were kind of laid out for me it was a very relentless time in my life. And, you know, I'd spend months in very remote parts of the world working with uh, different, different healers. And I feel so blessed to have experienced all this. And, um, you know, it was really me, kicking. it wasn't like it was, uh,
2: Sorry, Jason, I, I don't mean to keep going about your your camera. Um, yeah, I guess maybe just for the audience, we're having a small, seems technical issue with the camera. But, uh, <laughs> the, the audio is fine. Yeah. yeah, I can hear you and everything. But yeah. if anyone's uh, listening just on the audio version, that's what we're talking about. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. so uh, I
1: don't know if the audience uh, has a frozen <laughs> Jason, but I have a frozen Jason sometimes, and I like to see him move against Matt, so, <laughs> Um <yeah. laughs> So anyway, so I'm, Yeah, it wasn't like this was a a path of curiosity. It was, you know, there was some element of that, but it was a path of being dragged, kicking and screaming, uh, to see to different places and and, and different different healers. Um, And actually, the times when it was, I I know it was pure interest or pure, like, oh, let's just see what this is about. Um, You know, I went, I went one time to. This is a lesson for people. You have to follow your intuition. I I went to uh, kind of a shaman festival in Hungary. And I remember the shamans kind of beating their drum going through the ceremony. And I started to feel really odd. I was like, oh, this isn't right. I just started to feel really odd. And so I just left. And I was really drawn to this one direction. I don't know why, but I was just drawn. And as I was walking away, I slipped down this this uh, crevice this 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 hill and I fell down about 20 feet dislocated my shoulder I mean I say dislocated I mean I ripped my arm out of the socket I mean it was very very severe to they it it ails me and instantly the message was stop don't go looking like you need to follow don't look so I was like okay (laughs) so that was a very clear uh, message right there Mm. and each you know, each one of those journeys, it's Australia, Colombia, Namibia, America, wherever, is a whole podcast in itself. Really. And so, but I just, I'd really like to touch on, you know, one particular journey which has really touched me, which is my journey to Namibia, it was really close to my heart because it's one of the most powerful experiences that I had in my life. Which is, um... so, again, following a vision, I had visions of the. Uh, the Bushman actually, this vision of... It was a vision of me um, <laughs> turning into a lion and feeling the strength of this lion, this war, incredible power, and then opening my eyes to seeing around me these men dancing, were carrying poles and sticks and dancing around this fire. and somewhere along the dance this man came up to me and stabbed me in the heart and i just it really rattled me that that vision and i just yeah i just i just knew that i had to go and find these people wherever they were and i was searched and the closest people i could find was the the bushman so i was emailing this chap this this guy who was a what I now consider to be the world's expert on the Bushman and an anthropologist, uh emailing him about the Bushmen, like, oh, where can I find, where can I learn the language? Or do you know, you know, where can I find more? And, um, you know, he was kind of dismissive a little, you know. Um, but I just had this voice in the back of my head, just keep messaging him. It must be the 10th or 20th message, <laughs> really annoying this guy. And I just said just said, be honest, just be honest with him. So I said, look. I'm an acupuncturist. I'm really interested in the healing modality of the Bushman. Um, otherwise known as the San or the, uh, Jun Hawasi. Um, and you know, I wanted to learn more and perhaps go out there. He said, well, Ben, that's funny. You should say that because I've always wanted to take a small group of doctors or acupuncturists. Turns out that he was an acupuncturist to Namibia and go on an expedition together how would you fancy it in the next couple of months? I was like, yes, definitely. It sounds fantastic. I didn't have any money at the time, literally no money. And I don't recommend anyone doing this, but just the very next day, flashed up on my phone. I don't know when I signed up for this, but it was like medical trials. (laughs) (laughs) And And I would never normally do something like this, but the medical trial payment was exactly the same amount of money that I needed to go on this trip. So I was like, ah, well, I got to do it. So I did this, you know. I, I sort of sat in a you know, uh, hospital bed for three weeks and <laughs> took unknown substances in my body, <laughs> and then, and then uh, went off to to uh, to Namibia. And I mean, an incredible, incredible place and environment. Uh, very remote um you know giraffes and 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 lions and and roaming free um just by the side of the road i mean it's it's an incredible blast of nature incredibly difficult environment as well but um anyway so it's with this group and we we went to many different leaders uh you know we we were going around uh Watching and experiencing the dance, uh, which the the, the Bushmen uh, participate in, which I I talk more about. But this is their kind of healing dance, which uh, you know some say is very old, some say is very new, but um, is very sacred. Um, and they have two main forms of dances: the elephant dance and the giraffe dance. Some people say the Elephant Dance is a newer creation from Angola. Lots of uh, healers told me this. And there's the Draft Dance, which to me seem more traditional. So we were going around some of the Elephant Healers and, and to me. Not 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 to slight them, but just for me, they they seem very theatrical. There's a lot of theatrical elements to their dances. And it, it I, I couldn't really connect with what they were doing. Um, but somewhere along the way we we experienced uh one particular healer um, whose name Kuntabo. and I remember seeing him do his healings and just the the power that he put into these uh these healings was incredible you know, sweat would just be dripping off from him and I remember he didn't do any healing work on any of us and and we, I remember uh, the person I was with asked him, you know, why, why did you, you didn't work for us enough? and he said, because I looked at you and didn't need it. And I thought, well, wow, that's an incredible amount of uh, integrity. You know? So uh, I stayed with the group for you know, a couple more weeks and went to a few more places. And uh, I remember speaking to, uh, to the anthropologist and saying, I'm right, I, I thinking of staying on my own, and going to see uh, Kuntabo. he's like, Yeah, I think I was going to say that to you. I think that's a great idea. So I said goodbye to everybody else and I, I left and found somebody who was willing to take me to uh, Kuntabo's village. So I'm at that time, you couldn't get there by uh, Jeep. It was like um, uh, rainy season. So there was kind of knee-high water for about four and a half hours, uh, walking through the undergrowth in Namibia uh, to get to this village, you know, uh, literally seeing like snakes going around the water and, uh, you know, it felt like quite the adventure. It's quite, (laughs) um, it's like, it's strangely nice to have this warm water, like lapping around your legs as you are walking through it. So end up in this village and uh, Kuntabo was incredibly, generous and open with me, and um, we organize the dance. And so what we do, what they do in the dance is to, they tie um, it's uh, silkworm cocoons filled with uh, pieces of ostrich shell tied around their legs as a kind of rattle so when they dance it makes this uh kind of sound like shh and the idea of the dance is that the well first off the the women kind of sit in the middle around the fire and they are clapping and they're singing in these staccato rhythms if you've ever heard especially it's the most incredible thing and that kind of coincides with you know there are women healers, but they're much less. Um, and the women healers usually work with the women healers, and the men usually work with the men healers. So this was uh, purely the, the the men who were healing at this point. But the women and children and young boys, you know, they sit and they sing in the middle, and then the dancers would dance around the outside, sort of shuffling their feet one after the other through the dirt around the dance. And the idea is, is that what has been passed down from healer to healer, from time immemorial, from the animals and from God, is this spiritual substance called num, which sits in something called the gabazi, which is the stomach area. Um, you know, and I don't like to you know, cross compare with... Um, you know, kundalini, the dancien, the chakras, anything like that, because I think it's I think it's different. I think we owe respect to just take their word for what they're talking about. And what they're talking about is not ecstatic dance. It's not um, uh, you know whatever word you want to put it, it's their own form of dance, which is theirs and theirs alone. And they, you know, for them it's this num and this num comes from the animals and it comes from God. And so you know, that's what I believe. And so, as they dance, this realm um, heats up in their body and causes them to go into a very um, strong trance. And through this trance, they're able to see, they're able to heal, um, and they're able to work with people. So, no substances are taken, nothing like that. It's purely from this, this essence they're given by other healers. Um, and they're often afraid, actually. I mean, quite. I mean, you might hear me talking about the new age a little bit uh, in this uh, in this podcast, and not not to bash anyone, but I just want to you know I just want to make a distinction that traditional starminism is something that is very different to what you will learn in a so-called drumming workshop or a listener. It's 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 not the same thing. It's just not. And you know, I'm not saying that those things are bad, but don't pretend that they're, they're the same thing as what these people are doing and what other shamans around are doing, because it's not, I I just, unequivocally it's not. Um, And and they're very afraid of this trance because it's very painful for them. Speaking to them, they describe it as kind of nails or spikes going up their spine. Um, You know, you'll see healers screaming and running into the undergrowth to avoid the pain that, that this trance brings on. So it's no joke, you know anyway so i 'm <laughs> i 'm dancing and i 'm uh, kind of dancing with principal he 's kind of pushing me and he 's kind of touching me and the idea is to try and put this numb inside my body is, uh, um, so i 'm dancing around dancing around, and i don 't really feel anything and I just said to myself it doesn 't matter just you know how I- incredible you were in the open stars were just incredible it was like you know the filament just above above the earth it was it was just incredible and i just kind of gave up i just thought just enjoy it rather than holding on to anything and um you know i think that's a common theme as well it's like things come to us when we just give up you know trying never works with this this path you just have to give up and so um trying to think of which elements I can and i talk about this but essentially the, the the dance stopped I was a bit confused as to why but the dance stopped and I, I was walking with um, a boy from the village who uh, he, he spoke good English and I went with him to my tent and I looked across from my tent and I could see <clears throat> I could see all these fireflies these hundreds of red fireflies And I was like, wow, that's incredible. It's like, you see that? That's amazing, isn't it? He's like, what? What are you talking about? I'm like, look, these red fireflies. And he's like, no, I don't see anything. I'm like, what are you talking about? Right there. No. I'm like, huh, that's interesting. I didn't feel anything. I just felt hot. I just felt really hot in my body. But I'm in Namibia. I'm dancing around a fire. I thought that would be quite normal. And I go to the left of my tent. And then... A sort of a sort of wind uh, blew towards me and in that wind was this blue neon blue light with two eyes um i don't want to talk about what the spirit was i want to save some element for myself because it's such a sacred story uh for me but this was a spirit of nature and something uh so palpable in a way that i've never experienced before or since i mean It wasn't, you know, people can dismiss things as a figment of imagination or you partake in something as a hallucination, but this was a so grounded interaction with a spirit of nature that was right there in front of me as I'm seeing you here now in full neon regalia um, interacting with me and communicating with me. And... (laughs) um, sorry it's a, it's a quite hard story to tell but as you can see because it's uh i just i just had in that moment a, a, a realization of and it came instantly of how far we've come from our, pl- our rightful place in nature and our rightful interaction with nature and how so many things whether that's society, the food you eat, the environment you're in, the thoughts you tell yourself, the dogmas that you have, the ideologies that you hold, the sickness in your heart, whatever, has removed our connection with this magical, mystical, elegant, majestic aspect of nature. And we've reduced nature to this formula, to uh, an algorithm, an equation and it's not. It's magic. It has spirit. And, you know, in, in, in a way that I'd never experienced so direct before, that, that showed me that. And so I woke up in, in the morning the next day and just feeling like a little bit coy, like I might like I got mad, like what the hell? This was such an incredible experience. And Kuntabo was outside with the whole village as, as happened every single day. Drinking a cup of tea and smoking a cigarette, and asked me, um, "So, what did you experience last night?" And uh, I told him exactly what I experienced, and he said, "He said yes. Like, wow. Like, I wondered if you'd experienced something. You, you know, you're like us. You, you experience the hum of the animal and the wind of the animal, and uh, you know, this is what we experience." And I was just, you know, blown away. Um, so yeah, I, you know, had an opportunity to work with, at, you know, several more occasions, but, um, you know, unfortunately he, he passed away, uh, this year. And so, uh, you know, if I have uh, any vision for the future, I guess it would be to go and see his wife and, uh, uh, I was told this story about how he was he used to always tell the story about how he was given meat by an, an explorer back in the day and he would always, you know, um marvel about this meat. So I'd like to go and bring his wife uh some meat if she's still alive, uh sort of, you know, complete uh that circle for those gifts that, you know, he's uh given with me and to sort of respect his 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 life because um, you know, talking about shamans, uh, lost a lot of mentors this year. It's been a really, really, uh, a really hard year in that respect. And, um, these people, I regard them, you know, the people like Kuntabo and other healers, which I'm sure you know and I know are these special kind of healers that work with medicine and medicine being the, Um, you know this majestic beautiful flourishing aspect of of nature and God's love is how I describe it and the spirits that are associated with that you know these uh, shamans and healers are the last light bearers of that aspect of nature they need to be preserved and cherished and nourished and supported Um, you know Um, so yes um, and then, you know, backtracking a bit, obviously. Um, well, actually, I was going to talk about my my, my time with Anessa, but I think, you know, I just I just pause there for a moment,
2: just ask you any questions. You want. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was amazing. Thank you for sharing all that. Um... Yeah, there's a lot there. Yeah. I think uh, I think we may be going on one of the longer episodes. <laughs> of this I don't podcast. even know what the time is, but
1: sorry, if I'm dragging on, it'll be boring. No,
2: That's no, that, that, that was amazing. Um, I guess just to, yeah, I, I definitely love to get to Ernesto too, and, and there's just so much there I'd love to get into. Maybe going yeah. back to the beginning, you mentioned that, that one of the things that really started you on this journey was you were a trained acupuncturist, you were interested in, uh, traditional Chinese medicine, things like martial arts. Um, yeah. Why do you have this? Because it, it, you actually, you said something really interesting that was very similar to my path. And Oh, nice. kind of these serendipitous things, like you mentioned this yeah. book came to you. And for yeah. me, it yeah. was a very similar thing. Because I remember it very specifically. I was 16 years old, and I went to the local bookstore to get a, a present for my mother, because that was like the first time I could like, go on my own to do something. And, you know, always before it was, I had to go with a, with a parent to, to buy something. And so it was the first time I'd been to this bookstore and I, I just kind of, I, I, I went to the discount book, you know, table (laughs) because at 16, you don't have a lot of money. And, uh, and I found this, you know, this really beautiful book on interior design or something. And I was like, Oh, this will be perfect for my mother. And right next to it was this little tiny book. And I don't know why, but it just something about it drew me to it. And, and it was called the Tao Te Ching and I I picked it up and it it was the first (laughs) time in my life where I felt something very visceral and very different. I had never felt that before and it was in this simplicity and it was the first time where I, I had read something and thought to myself, this is truth. Hmm. Hmm. And and I didn't understand how because the words were so simple. Like it seemed so obvious. It seemed so clear to me. And yet there was this yep. very deep resonation. And and I really think that's probably what started me on that on this whole journey was was this little book that I picked up. And and still to this day, I, you know, I, I keep a, a copy of it next to my bed because probably of all the books I've read, it's still to me the the most profound. Um. Yeah. But so kind of like you were mentioning, you know, the, the, these books came to you and and, and you got really interested in, in okay. acupuncture, traditional Chinese medicine. What was, what was that experience like of, of, of working with acupuncture? You also mentioned martial arts, which have been a big part of my life. Um, yeah. and, and I think that's something that, that a lot of people maybe don't understand. I mean, for me, often practicing martial arts, fighting, competing, there's a tremendous spiritual aspect to that. I mean, I, I remember, you yeah. know, fighting fighting Muay Thai in Thailand and, and the music uh, and hey. entering this trance state. <laughs> and you know, yeah, it, 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 it almost seemed like a dream. And but yeah. what was what was that like for you? What, what was the draw to that? And 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 what do you think you you began to learn from from those practices?
1: Yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. First of all, you know, WG, if anyone's never read it, then go out and read it. Um, a particularly accessible copy is a translation by Stephen Mitchell, Mm -hmm. which is just a beautiful, really accessible uh, version. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's like a foundational text of, you know, like a a whole religion, maybe even a whole civilization. So, you know, um, what became Taoism as we know it today started from that book. Um, You know, I particularly became interested in uh, lots of Taoist philosophy and, and practices through my work as well, um, most namely you know meditation, but um, yeah, in terms of the martial arts, yeah it's um, it's an interesting one because you know you have this aspect of violence, so it seems unpeaceful and but its uh, it's refined in a way that has <clears throat> rules often or uh, rules of engagement or rules of uh, honor that kind of confine that violence to a specific area. And I think it's, it harnesses very deep aspects of ourselves, you know, very old aspects of ourselves. You know, we are essentially animals. And so we're harnessing that kind of those fight or flight energies in a more constructive way by harnessing our body and strengthening our mind. And yeah, often these martial arts, you know, even, even Thai boxing, which is essentially a pro sport with gambling and, you know, lots of money behind it has a spiritual aspect to it, a mental aspect to it through of prayer and the monk on and the, the tattoos and the protections and all these things that go alongside it. So I think martial arts has always gone hand in hand with, with, um, with spirituality for whatever reason but for me the draw real draw of something like thai boxing or or martial arts is that i think in our day-to-day existence you know it's very easy to slide into passivity and very easy to let kind of what life wash over you or drift through life like a leaf you know um whereas uh, the martial arts is extremely intentional. So, if you're using it as like a, an analogy to life, you know, you're breaking through barriers, you're um, you're deflecting or manoeuvring around challenges, you are overcoming obstacles, and those things you're going to have to do in your life over and over and over again if you want a fulfilling life. And so, and it's also an antithesis to that kind of sit on the couch and watch Netflix. You know, which I've definitely been in phases of my life where I've been there. But um, you know, it's an antithesis to that. It's it's uh it's drawing on every single aspect of your energy, your being, your spirit, everything. And and even, you know, I, I like watching boxing, I'll admit it. I love watching MMA, I'll admit it. <laughs> um it's you know, and I, I understand the icon to me there because it's extremely violent sometimes. But if you you know, I watch it from you know as a martial arts perspective from the artistic perspective, the sporting aspects, the mental aspect. And there is no other sport, no other form of competition, which even comes close to this like roundedness of aspects. You know, you might have say speed in uh, running or you might have endurance in a long distance run, or you might have quick reflexes in a ping pong game, but never do you have, you need all those elements in order to compete in the fighting sports. You need a strong mind. You need a strong body. You need to be fast. You need to be strong It's every single element combined. So it's um, the most fundamental form of competition that we have. So the most primal and, you know, it's a way that we can kind of overcome those uh, and harness those primal tendencies in a in a more positive way, I guess.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because it's also you mentioned this this very common motif that I've experienced with all shamanic traditions, which is this idea of death. Um that, that really through death there there can be this experience of rebirth. And and so there there tends to be this this very high emphasis on death. And and something with martial arts is as you were saying, that's that's kind of the closest one can get in a controlled way to experiencing death. I mean, when you're fighting someone, if if there's not a referee there in that controlled environment, the outcome of that is death. Uh so we we end up getting very close to that point potentially. And 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 I think in that there, there's a very religious aspect. <clears throat> you also mentioned and this really interesting idea, and, and I don't know if if this is completely true, but you're mentioning like when you were in, Manib- in Na- Namibia that it was a very difficult environment, and and I think similarly yeah. like in in the jungles of the Amazon, yeah. I spent some time like in the taiga of Mongolia, and it's a very very Harsh. I mean, harsh. It, it, that was the word I was going to use. And, and I don't mean to use it in, in like a negative way. It's just yeah. it's a very visceral feeling. I remember standing on top of this mountain range and just looking out and as far as I could see were just these barren mountains. Uh, I was staying with these uh, these people called the reindeer people. And it was the first time in my life where I just realized mm-hmm. like the power of nature and and just mm-hmm. the, the the smallness of me in that moment, you know, a storm yeah. could come through and just completely decimate me, and I would have no answer to that whatsoever. So, do you think there's there, there's like a correlation between that harshness? I mean, also in that martial arts, uh, you, you mentioned this primal mm-hmm. aspect that that a lot of these like shamanic traditions were maybe born out of like this harshness or this reverence of. The environment they were in trying to somehow navigate yeah. that uh or or even just the inherent respect that, that being in an environment like that brings out of someone
1: yeah absolutely 100 percent. i mean again you know we have these ideas but perhaps some people have ideas of shamans being you know like spiritual teachers that are there purely for you to be your higher self that that's not what they're they were there for traditionally, um, more often than not. Shaman's role is, you know, one that is a healer, one that is a cursor, one that is able to speak to the elements and, you know, look for game, um, bring luck in hunting. You know, it was very down to earth and ground. It's not anything. Um, I did, The the healers I've met all around the world—they're completely grounded. There's no, they don't usually have this kind of um, spiritual aspiration, this idea of spiritual perfection. Nothing like that. They are here for survival. They are here to help their tribe survive. They help their tribe flourish. To help, you know. And one other aspect you, you see a lot is to bring about social cohesion. So mending those connections with nature, mending those connections with other people—maybe that's through, uh, you know, jealousy and envy with other people, others. Um, so yeah, I think, and that th- these forms of shamanism are found in the harshest uh, of environments, and you don't waste your energy on doing these things unless they're for survival purposes. You know, there's no, there's no, there's no point. Um, that social cohesion aspect, aspect is, is really interesting as well, just uh, just thinking about it because, again, that's something I've seen, especially with the Bushmen. If anyone had a, a problem, literally the whole tribe would sit around and just argue it out. And often that was quite ugly. There were people be screaming and shouting. and It was quite scary as an outsider. But you realise that, uh, oh, no, 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 what they're actually doing is listening. They're listening to every person's point of view and taking it on board and they're only moving forward with their course of action. Everybody is happy in their own little way, and has formed their own. You know, they're at peace with the decision that the tribe is making. There is no, there is no grand leader who's going to leave. There's a usually a person who's like, you know, semi considered wise, but he's not really the leader. He's just somebody who tries to uh, manage, and tries to bring everyone together to to form that common common goal. And 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 that's something you know that. Uh, I've also uh, learned through, through my travels that we're really missing in Western culture. We're doing completely opposite. We're not listening to anybody. In fact, we are suppressing so many voices, and that's so dangerous, so dangerous what we're doing to suppress people's voices and dismiss people and label them and dehumanize them' It's, it's horrible. Um, so in that way, we were certainly losing our, our way. <laughs> I think <laughs>
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's something we'll get to uh maybe a little bit deeper in the podcast. You also mentioned this this interesting idea of of this um when you were when you were with the bushmen the these two different types of dances and one of them you you mentioned uh, I think it was the elephant huh. dance being very theatrical and that's often yeah. uh, that can often be a really common archetype in in a lot of these shamanic practices too is is this aspect of of theater i i was was watching a documentary recently on uh in the the hunza valley of of pakistan and and this guy Mm -hmm. going into a trance and uh basically trying to trying to heal this man through this trance but it was very theatrical and yeah i think sometimes that gets overlooked as just nonsense and then on the other hand it, it can maybe be given too much credit as if the, the theatrical dance is, is everything um mm-hmm. what do you for, from your experience where do you where do you see that that fits in into many of these paths mm. yeah fascinating question i
1: i um yeah it's something i kind of wrestled with i think there's there's numerous aspects to it i mean look there's many layers like on one level there are charlatans even in indigenous cultures there's people who are claimed to be shamans but they're not okay so we can look at it from that aspect that's a possibility um another possibility is that what the shamans are doing is demonstrating to you the audience slash the uh, participants slash the patients what they're actually doing and seeing in in a way that you'll understand through their theatrics, right? So it's like a layer upon what they're actually experiencing and they're showing it to you because um, they're not actually participating. They're not experiencing, say, visions. They're not experiencing what the shaman is seeing. So the shaman needs to be able to convey that in a way that the audience will understand in a a visual way and and take on board and believe. Um, You know, this idea of belief, we can look at it as like, Purely a placebo effect, or we can look at it, which I think is more fitting, is that you know this form of healing is much more effective when somebody's heart is open to that form of healing. You know, if we look at it from purely shamanic perspective, Um, and then yeah, I think so. For instance, the Bushmen, they would do things like they would have this uh, clay substance, and then they would roll it up into like a needle shape. They would run up to you and say, grab something out, and then show you the, the little clay that they'd fashioned into a needle and show you. Now, is that them saying that they've taken that clay out of your body, or pretending or tricking you into believing that you've taken out your body as some part of the trick? Or is it them uh, giving a representation of what they perceive that they've taken out of your body and that you know the perhaps patients wouldn't be happy unless they saw a physical representation of what's being removed. So, yeah, it can be any any one of those. But yeah, it is a mysterious aspect um, to it. And I think it's um, it is a role as well. You know, I think anybody who um, is a shaman is stepping into another aspect of themselves. You know, by day they are a carpenter. By uh, you know by night they're a the fisherman but uh you know when they're in the ceremony they are the maestro you know there is a theatrical element to that and you know um partly in shamanism you have to kind of transform into something else and you have to transform in something that's bigger than yourself because you're often dealing with forces that are bigger than you so you know if you if you this transformative element i think is part of theatrics as well and that's both for the audience and the shaman i think
2: yeah yeah you also mentioned this idea which which i think is, is is pretty prevalent and this idea of peacemaking and um i i've done a lot of work and i have a lot of respect for this uh this colombian guy named amika and he comes from this very small group in the colombian amazon called the, the Tuwu. And uh, they they sit around in what are called mambyaderos. So they're they're working predominantly with mambé, which is a, a, a pulverized uh, a coca leaf. So it's a powder. It's also mixed with tobacco. They work a lot with, uh, they call it. Is that what you have now? Is that what you have in your mouth now? <laughs> that's exactly what I have now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right, I think right. pe- people always wonder why my, my, my teeth are so <laughs> green during these interviews, but that's that's why. Um uh-huh. But it's, it's a beautiful medicine, I find, and they, they actually relate the, the coca and the tobacco paste, which they take called ambi mm. as mm. really being able to connect our words. And there's this real sense, mm. actually, of the words becoming these tools of peacemaking. And, and mm. so often people sit around through the tobacco, through the mambe. And there's a there's a conflict resolution. As you said, you know, people may be screaming at each other. People may be getting in fights, but they mm. view that is actually very essential to the well-being of the group. Um, it also reminds yeah. me, I, I was watching this documentary. I I've, I've was fortunate to work with Iboga, and, and I was w- watching this documentary on, on Iboga. And it was very fascinating to me because this, this group of people who work with Iboga, they, which for people who who may not be familiar with it, it's this elaborate, not mm-hmm. only ritual but 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 a lifestyle. I mean, it's weeks in the making of the preparation, that the coming together as a community, the the, the ceremonial aspect, uh, two very strong ceremonies, a death ceremony, a rebirth ceremony. It's a tremendous amount of work, and Gee. they they did this ceremony for this woman. And I remember being uh, really in awe because the reason they 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 gave this woman an aboga ceremony is for her illness and her illness that they said was that she was jealous, and I just remember yeah. thinking, you know, in, in so many of our cultures we would just brush that off as like, well, so what, you know, jealousy—it's such a small yeah. thing. But they yeah. saw that as something that would eventually eat her from the inside and and also be detrimental to the group as a whole. Wow. This, this thing had so much power, and so they were trying to to free her to heal her of this jealousy huh. but so you know that aspect of of peacemaking of 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 keeping things in balance of harmony, and then also, as you mentioned that this idea of of a broader picture of beginning to navigate and bring the forces of nature into harmony uh you know trying to make offerings trying to appease the spirits there's another guy who I've I've worked with uh, not much but um he's uh he comes from the Arawaku people in the the northern part of Colombia in the Sierra Nevada and it's very interesting, because really, if you ever ask him a question, like, why am I sick? Why am I suffering? Why is humanity suffering? His answer is almost <laughs> always the same. And it's, you, you haven't made a payment. Right. And yeah. he's not talking just about, you know, cash payment, that something is yeah, out yeah. of balance. You, we've taken, but we haven't given back. There, there's no, there's not mm. a reciprocity. There There's not an act of you know, I, I drink this water, I, I take this food, but what am I doing to give back? And eventually when things become out of balance, then sickness arises. I mean, even from a more like Western yeah. perspective, that's that's what disease means. It means to be out of ease, we're, we're out of balance, we're out of harmony. Um, so, I mean, you touched on it a little but but do you have a sense of like why that seems to be such a such an important aspect and i think something as you mentioned that's really overlooked like when when people come to work with plant medicine or or different shamanic practices it it tends to be more from that kind of view as you were saying maybe like a yogic tradition or a new agey tradition Mm, mm, mm. you know this is all about me and and my growth which there's there's 100% hundred percent validity to that as well. Absolutely, yeah. not necessarily seeing things in a in a bigger picture. Yeah, it's um,
1: yeah, it's interesting what you talks about about the the heart and connecting the heart to your speech. I mean, the Bushmen talk about this like this concept of dirty words um, the dirty words spoken by others, perhaps to you, or the dirty words you speak out that they kind of infect your heart and they eat away at it until you die. Um, so it's this idea of being affected by this malice that you uh, you, know, you have for, for perhaps yourself or, or other people that, that eats away at you. Um, but this aspect of being connected to nature, I mean, we have, we have uh, like a tree, the, the possibility of being uprooted Where we do not receive, you know, spiritual nourishment or even physical nourishment. You know, you hear, you know, a lot of modern research is talking about, you know, the bacteria that's found in forests or the fungi that's found in forests, which is essential for our um, immune systems. You know, um, if you go to the average hunter gatherer's immune system, they have like a thousand times more positive gut bacteria for instance so uh, you know physically or spiritually we disroot ourselves from nature we're going to suffer and whether we believe or perceive of these aspects of nature it's important to have um, reciprocity and that reciprocity can just come in the form of gratitude which is an incredibly powerful um, offering in and of itself but if you it's like any relationship. If you just, you know, carry on uh, taking your flatmate's tea, coffee, and everything he has in the fridge without giving anything back or even saying thank you, they're not going to be very happy and eventually they're probably going <laughs> to spike your tea or something, aren't they? So um, it, it's the same with nature. It's, um, you know, and, you know, many Indigenous people would say that certain places in nature, you know, are it's not that... You know have been forgotten and so they would say that the spirits become disillusioned and angry with people um uh, you know and i've certainly had experiences of that of sort of this, this sense that the spirits of a certain land have been you know maybe at one point were honored and worshiped and certainly in the british isles we had a um you know like just today I, pick, I picked up this book it's you know, talking about books flying out you it, it's a book on uh fairy law of the British Isles and you know so obviously in 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 Britain as well we had this um this tradition of uh honoring uh, the local land spirits and uh, and honoring the land and nature itself and, and that's something that we've uh completely disregarded in in, in modern times but I, I do think it's important and you're going to have a much better time of things if you honor nature honor your ancestors even and and ancestors could have been important one that's like your you know your bloodline essentially going back thousands of years and you disconnect yourself from that you're kind of just floating in an ether you know and these things do have uh an impact on you and a pull on you in ways that you don't understand um and just I think we can kind of position ourselves incorrectly in in reality. So what I mean by that is, you know, we think that we're in a city and that we're in work and we're in, we're in this technological environment and, but we're not, we're, we're in nature, we're in, you know, God's domain. And it's, we need to keep reminding ourselves that we are, we are in that, um, that domain and not, not, you know, even in a city, you see life spreading out everywhere. So it's not that you know nature is outside the city, actually the city is in nature.
2: Yeah. yeah. Another thing you were you were speaking about, which which I think is very interesting, is you were mentioning with the Bushmen they 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 create this this needle or dart out of clay and it's this physical representation of, of potentially what they're seeing that they're extracting. And, and I think that's, that's sometimes difficult for a lot of people to understand. And, and to me it it seems like one of the things that it's pointing towards is in a way, this disconnect of, of, of what we take to be reality. And, and I think so much of, of the shamanic world when they are entering a reality it's just it's a it's a potentially a different reality from the normal waking reality that most of us call reality and yet as people like i think very beautifully like ramana maharshi says you know when you're awake you're there when you're asleep. You're there, <laughs> you know, when you're in a deep mm-hmm. dream, you're there. Uh, we're always there in a way, and yet we compartmentalize these realities if as if there's something different, as if in that dream mm-hmm. state that's not real, even mm-hmm. though how could it not be real because that's the only reality in that moment, and yeah. it it seems like so many of these practices, which, which these shamanic traditions are pointing towards is an entering of a reality. That's not just the waking state of reality that most of us take to mean what is real. And that in that, that however we want to refer to it altered space uh, we have access to a tremendous amount of knowledge and, 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 and in a way maybe even a greater knowledge because we're not inherently bound by the very beautiful laws that, that allow this waking reality to happen. Things like time and space and, uh, you know, gravity and, and distance and, but in that space, we're able to access other things. And And I think a lot of us, we would look at that and say, you know, very much like that, that clay, well, that's just not real. And yet, mm-hmm potentially for, for that person, that, that maestro in that space, as you said, it is a a physical manifestation of something that's beyond that physical form. Um, so why do you think that's, that's important. And also that we have that disconnect because like many things, the proof is in the pudding. And, and as I'm sure, you know, you've seen so many times, like when people do this work, there's real benefit. There's tangible benefit. And yet Uh often we will also in a way dismiss that as, as a fantasy or, you know, something came to me and it healed me, but that was just an illusion. And yet I'm left being healed from that thing that I was to be healed from, but there's not that willingness to, to look at things from a, from a different uh, perspective
1: yeah i think <clears throat> well firstly i think i think people are going through and experiencing uh, different realities all the time like whether they know it or they don't i mean just in the course of a day i mean you know the buddhists uh talk about it quite well in terms of you know the hell rounds and the heavenly rounds and you can experience all of those all in one day i mean you can experience a hell round if you wish or you know we've all experienced it no matter what you do you just feel angry and you go outside and everything is just horrible people are looking at you along the way you're bumping into things just everything annoys you that's a hell them, right and then you wake up the next day you wake up on the right side of the bed, and you go out and everyone everyone's suddenly smiling and they're, they're wonderful and the trees are blossoming and the flowers that's a heavenly realm right it's um so your perception is incredibly important about what you experience. Um, but we're almost afraid to go there. I mean, if you speak to anybody about dreams or visions, often they would like recoil in horror because it's something that's so alien. And I, it's a, I just think often it's a fear. It's a fear of the unknown, maybe a fear of the bump, things that go bump in the night. And it's also a fear of mental illness. You know, we have a, you know, if you experience anything other than, um, you know, what's prescribed as reality by science, by media, by these things, then you must be crazy because that's what they all That's what they all say is the right way to experience life. But that's that's effectively a modern invention. You know, it's for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years, that's not been the common theme of reality. And actually in a lot of the world, it's not the common theme of reality, even in incredibly um, industrialized nations like Japan, for instance, or Thailand, you know, they will have offerings to spirits and they will connect with their ancestors and they will have a very strong connection. So I don't know why in the West, we completely disregard it in a way that we have. Um, but, it's interesting. I don't know if it's by design. I mean, you know, putting my conspiracy hat on, is it by design? Because if you, if you disconnect somebody from the, the, the source of goodness for themselves and they, they have to look for it elsewhere in other means and other ways, their satisfaction in, in commodification and in, in purchasing, and you know, there's, there's a relentless um, kind of void that comes with that disconnection. Um, that needs to be filled with something, and often that's, uh, you know, various forms of addiction or, uh, purchasing or, or whatever it may be. Um, and I think we're very busy, we're very busy, and I think that that disconnects a lot of people from these aspects of themselves. Um, you know, if you're, if your mind is running a thousand miles an hour about which, which is of course a a, a byproduct of just where we live. It's not a, it's not a judgment on people. It's just how we live right right now. But it's, um, you know, you've got like 10,000 things coming in your Facebook feed and your Twitter feed and this enrages you and that enrages you. You're commenting on this. You're it's, um, it's relentless. I mean, how are you supposed to connect with anything, (laughs) you know, you haven't even taken a, a moment to pause in in you know, several days, so it's um, yeah. I just it's a strange one. I, I think, I think you saw with the with the advent of industrialization, you know, the change in lighting, for instance, the change in food, the change in working hours, the disconnect from the natural rhythms of of our environment. You know, those things start to uh, uh, etch away. At our connection to nature I guarantee if anyone out here goes, goes out into nature goes camping for two three weeks out in the wilderness and you do some offerings out in nature you will have some kind of connection with nature in a way that you haven't experienced in a long time because I know that because you're human and humans have this uh, innate ability to connect with the rest of nature just like all the other animals and all uh traditional i wouldn't say I, I'm never going to say all but a lot of uh, traditional cultures that i've come into contact with you know have this kind of archetypal story about a time when man could connect and speak to the animals and speak to the plants and um, mm-hmm. it, it, and communicate directly with them and you know that sounds like a fairy story but also, I've seen many things about people that that have that direct connection with with nature in that way, and I've had glimpses of it myself. And so, you know, like that story with the spirit I experienced in Namibia. I mean, you know, like I say, the very first thing that occurred to me is that somehow, some way, you know, experienced this deep sadness about how we dis- disconnected ourselves, um, and it's. Um, We've kind of taken on, you know, the Bible talks about false idols. Um, what does that really mean? we you know, I would say that 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 God and love and life and nature are synonymous terms. And so, if you if you are disconnecting from that source, you know, you might you might throw an universe in there as well. If you're if you're not particularly uh, religious or, or, or don't like the idea of god but you know if you're disconnecting from those that true um object of devotion and gratitude then you're focusing on the wrong thing you're you're disconnecting yourself from the true source of your being and and you know whether that's chasing money or chasing fame or um even following you know following any other force that is not that and that which is contained within your heart you know yeah
2: Yeah. something else with that story of uh of the, the the little clay uh figure which you touched on and you said a lot of times we could just attribute it to placebo, which again is an interesting phenomenon because we know the placebo yeah. to be true, but even the <clears throat> language we use, we often say, well, that's just placebo as if that's not yeah. having an impact. And yet we all know it, yeah. it has a tremendous impact. And and so it kind of going back to this idea of belief or faith, which has also in a way become a a dirty word for a lot of us. It's mm-hmm. seen as something that, that only a simpleton or a simple mind would have faith because they can't back it up necessarily by anything tangible. Mm -hmm. Therefore they're, they're dumb in a way. And yet I I find it an interesting thing because as we, you know, I, I think it was Nietzsche who said, God is dead. And, and in this way, as, as a society, as we seem to be losing faith, we also seem to be gaining depression, and anxiety, and fear, and disconnection. And to me, it seems like those two things, uh, you know, it's not just a correlation, it's a direct causation. And it, again, a, a really common idea in, in a lot of these shamanic paths, and not just shamanic, but but really religious paths all over the world, is this idea of faith. and mm-hmm. And what a powerful tool that is. And i think one of the interesting things about a lot of these paths kind of is you were you were saying yourself again which is a really common idea of surrendering of letting go of allowing something to 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 maybe overtake us to to release into something mm-hmm. to to allow these these barriers you know these, these mind physical barriers to, to actually begin to fall away that that we can be filled with something, and filled with something that that we maybe can't one hundred percent verify to someone else, and like put it on a piece of paper and say, "Look, you know, this is what it is." <laughs> yes, and yes, Here's the measure of it. Two thousand <laughs> possible. So good. And yet, as you said, uh, and and I think it's a, a a common experience that people have. Like that experience is real, and it's real in a way mm-hmm. that nobody can take it away from them. And, and someone can say, well, that's just chemicals or that was just a hallucination. And yet for the person who experiences that in a way, there's this idea of faith, but, but it's not an idea of faith of like an unexperiential faith. It's something that that's been touched inside someone that truly gives them this idea of of reverence, of faith, of gratitude—these th- th- words that you pointed towards—I um, know it's it's kind of a big question, or maybe like a, a, a. I'm not sure where I'm going with it, but where do you think that idea of faith fits in? And and, and uh, you know, I don't know mm. if you feel the same, but why do you why do you think mm. that that's potentially been been lost for for so many of us? Yeah. Yes.
1: Uh, well, yeah I, I, yeah, I definitely like to speak to that. I mean, uh, yeah, faith, as you say, real faith comes when when you've had an experience of something. And so you've been kissed, you've been touched by something divine perhaps. And then maybe in those moments where that seems like it doesn't exist or is not gone away, the faith comes that you know that it's always eternal, that it's always with you, that you trust that it is. I uh, once met a Sheikh, like a Sufi teacher, and he said to me, uh, darkness is nothing but the absence of light. And and therefore, when aspects of, like, doubt and uh, fear come in, those are just they call it shaitan, you know, like the devil, that the devil comes in and he pretends to be uh superim so he superimposes himself in front of the light and pretends to be all and everything. When in fact the light is there all along. The devil's job is to show you, to tell you that the light doesn't exist, that love is not enough, that you know, God is not there, that, that you know, that it's folly, that it's ridiculous. That's his job, and he's doing a very good job of that at the moment, you know, in an archetypal um, aspect. Um, I, I once had a, uh, an experience in ceremony with the, you know, that powerful shaman that I spoke about in the beginning where I had this experience where I was, felt like I was drifting down into, into hell, being pulled into hell, um, where there was nothing but blackness upon blackness. Literally, I was in a full lit, moonlit room, moon, incredibly bright, and then it was like a veil of darkness came down in the room and all light just got extinguished. And I was terrified. And I remember the somebody saying to me um in the ceremony where I knew, just focus on focus on love. And I remember the voices just that's we just don't focus on that. And um you know, that's that's a really common aspect of the shamanism as well. These, these voices, these aspects of doubt that whisper in the shaman's ear and trying to sway them off in a direct, different direction. I'm sure you've experienced that and many other people have. Um, this, you know, this layer of kind of fundamental darkness that some forms of Buddhism calls it, that Kai's tries to obscure your you from healing or from light. So anyway, I'm... Um, um, I'm sat there and I'm going through this fear and i sort of being pulled into darkness and I just started saying the word love into my heart, just the word love, 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 love. And I'm singing now the word love and just there in the darkness was a small pinprick of light, very small. And I was like, oh, and that gave me a little bit more hope, a little bit more faith. And I started to sing louder, love, love, love. And as I was singing, the, the light just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And my faith grew and my confidence grew until I was singing so loud. <laughs> and the light was so big, it filled the entire room. and just completely dispersed whatever darkness this was. And for a very brief second, I saw, I heard this kind of clapping and cheering and I saw this all these spirits these hundreds of spirits like these old ancient warriors from the from the amazon kind of standing out they would look like kind of royalty and sort of clapping and sort of left me thinking like i don't see any difference between yeah like i said before i don't see any difference between you know what what we call in shamanism medicine and you know god's love god's life uh you know life uh nature these are all synonymous terms it's kind of this thread of this beautiful energy which exists in the world whatever you want to call it and there's certain people who, who who tap into it and and so that's faith and when you experience something and maybe you do go through darkness and maybe there are times when you don't feel it and that's okay it's just having the faith because you've experienced it before and knowing that you will come through the other side and experience it again and knowing that you wish to connect with those sources of light and not those sources of darkness which try to persuade you that it doesn't exist, that you're an idiot, that, you know, um, you, you're doing something childish. Um, because those voices are there and they're very compelling. Um, and so I think because we don't have these structures and actually I think there's been almost... Uh, you know, you can say what you want about Christianity or Islam or any of these religions, but a religion is designed to house, you know, with all its rituals and all its, uh, you know, stiff bureaucracy and all these things. It's like the the box which houses an inner truth, which is the, the more mystical side. And all traditions have it. There's a mystical side of Islam, there's a mystical side of Christianity. You can't just... Not everyone is willing to go to a cave and meditate to experience the mystical side of Christianity or Islam. Um, and so you need this kind of outer casing to, to house it. But what it actually houses is, is something very true. And you can only point to it through proverbs, you can only point to it through stories. And people point to the stories as being wrong as some proof that the 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 inner working, the inner mysticism is somehow um, you know, proven incorrect and, and but that's the completely the wrong way of looking at it. The stories and the parables are only pointing towards something of which people experienced and trying to put these things into words. And so this box is housing this mythism. And for some reason there's been an ongoing effort in Western society for a long time, as Nietzsche says, you know, to destroy this box and to throw away the inner contents of that box. Um, and that's not a good thing, I would say, not a good thing at all. And we can, we can, you know, of course, there are, you know, travesties of which occurred under religion's name. Um, however, you know, I'd like to argue that that is, you know, the folly of man that has taken those teachings and used them in ways which they were not intended. Um but to throw the proverbial baby out with the bath water the the mysticism contained within the housing of religion is an incredibly foolish thing to do um, so so yeah, and why would you again why would you want to destroy that box um and that jewel within it well if you if if you know. <laughs> Why you want something else to be more powerful? You want something else to replace it, and so that's the only reason you would you would destroy that box. Or and you know there's a, you know, and and call whatever power that you will. Um, you know, there are many forces which which try to put themselves in the place of that box. So.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that that goes into. To kind of the next question I was thinking, which is, as you were talking about earlier, um, with these shamanic paths, almost always there is this, again, this idea of dark versus light. And and also, as you mm-hmm. said, in, in all of these religious traditions, and it's something we, we seem to have also gotten away from. I mean, even in Christianity, yeah. it's a huge motif. I mean the idea of, of God being the light and there's the, 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 the tempter being the devil and uh, yeah. the, the fall from grace, the fall from, from, from Eden. Um, mm-hmm. And so this is a really common thing that, that I think anyone who's really delved into many of these shamanic traditions, they're also saying the same thing. Like, I mean, even these words like curandero versus Brujo, someone who, Who heals versus someone who who harms. And and I think sometimes we look at that in in like a we can add so many things onto that. And yet, even in a really simple way, like you were saying, one day I go out and and I experience light. The the next day I go out and the 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 circumstances haven't changed. And yet it's darkness. And and in in all of my thoughts and all of my actions, it's like, which am I choosing? Mm -hmm. Am I choosing to act from a place of love? Am I choosing to act from a place of harm? and and as you were saying even even some of these shamans they they can they can have a lot of power but is that power being used for good is it being used for bad and and some of it may even be unconscious i mean like any of us if what words are we choosing to use when i have an interaction yep. with someone and and if i have a lot of power uh and i choose to use words that harm that can have a tremendous effect. And and then if you take that and you like transpose that onto this realm where potentially there is more power, where there, there, we are more open, we are more sensitive. These things can become magnified to a tremendous degree. Do you, do you have a sense of, of, because it does seem like in this work, that's something that people don't want to talk about um, that, that, you know, that things can be used for harm. That 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 there there potentially is darkness in the world, which I think we all know if 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 we look from any sort of like wider lens. Like <laughs> there's been <laughs> yes, evil in the world. I but, think so. But yep. why do you think that's often kind of ignored in 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 some of these traditions? <clears throat> I think more so from people looking at it from the outside. Yeah, I think I think again,
1: I think um, I think the. Propagation of kind of more pedantic kind of ways of thinking in the 70s. I think that was a big part of it. This idea that, you know, there is just now, um, you know, good and evil don't really exist. And on one level, that's true. On one level, yes, on a universal aspect, you know, it is all one. We are all love. Um, That is true. And you can use that in your shamanic practice as well. You know, you know, love itself is a very powerful protection and it's a very powerful healing force. However, um, you know, there are times in life when, no matter how much universal oneness that you have or good intention, you're hit in the face by a spade. And no, no matter how you mentally gymnastics away from that, you're still it still hurts when you get hit by a spade. And so. I think, yeah, I think that there is this interesting uh, dynamic which does occur where we deny the aspect of evil. <clears throat> and I think that is incredibly dangerous because it's very naive to believe that there is no evil. You know, on a human level, there is absolutely evil. We see it on a daily basis. And so we almost, you know, I I, I see it. People almost disregard the the element that... Um, you know, perhaps somebody could have nefarious purposes. Perhaps governments even could have nefarious purposes. Perhaps uh, nations could have nefarious purposes. And that's very interesting. How there's been this this ideological movement to almost remove the existence of evil. And again, the devil works by pretending that it doesn't really exist. It's um. Yeah, it's interesting. And people don't want to talk about it. It's not. It's not really nice to talk about, though, is it? It's not. It's not. It's not filled with uh, rainbows and and, and and fluffy animals. And it's um There's it, it not a feel-good aspect to you talking about the dark side, but it is an aspect of life and it is an aspect of nature and it is an aspect of uh, all shamanic traditions, whether we like it or not. And I think we need to, yeah, and people, you know, and our own hearts, you know, if you look inside yourself and see, we can all see evil within us. It's just whether whether what we choose to focus on and whether we choose to get taken away by those false idols as we say or make a concerted effort to follow that path of you know medicine of love of life um which is not easy you know it's, that sounds fluffy in itself you no know, all oh, just i'm just going to be all loving and all right that's it's a it's a scary path to follow that it's incredibly difficult path to follow your heart it's uh that's not an easy path. So, you know, it takes a lot of courage uh, to do that and stand by your principles. Um, yeah, but, but at the same time, we, you know, mustn't get into these false dichotomies of good versus evil as well. You know, we need to acknowledge that evil does exist and we need to uh, uh, resist it. But the best way to really resist evil is not to fight it. The best way to resist evil, in my opinion, is to uh, create an alternate path. So we we have these dichotomies which are set up. You know, whether it's left versus right, whether it's good versus evil, whether it's uh, male and female, what, whatever. We have these these false uh, dichotomies that are set up. So this versus that, but actually the answer is always somewhere in the middle. It's it's going this way it's not going this way because you have a conflict it's going this way so you know we need um in such times as evil you need um people who are aspirational they don't they're not trying to fight the system they're not trying to take down the system they're not trying to destroy but they are trying to paint a picture of medicine of life of a way forward something that's aspirational so leaders like you know martin luther king you know who painted a beautiful, beautiful um, image for the future he wasn 't trying to fight racism he wasn 't trying to fight the um, evil forces of capitalism. he was trying to paint a picture um, a beautiful vision for the future or one of one of goodness so I think we need to to do that in our own arts, and I think we need to do that uh, as a humanity uh, to paint this uh, picture which we can all agree is a, is a beautiful one rather than fighting uh fighting shadows really and i think you know for for what i say that we we do need to acknowledge the darkness and even in shamanism i think shamans can get caught in the fight they can get caught in the you know believing that they're virtuous because they say uh spiritually beat up a, a, a brujo for instance when in actual reality what's happening is that they are slowly becoming what they despise. Um, Unfortunately, I've seen that um, time and time again. So, you know, it's a fine balance between an understanding that evil exists and protecting yourself from it, um, but also not becoming the
2: thing that you are fighting. Mm -hmm. It it reminds me, uh, my, my friend Brian, who uh, has, a, 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 I think, a pretty good understanding and, and knowledge of the Shpibo language and um, th- this word that's often used, hakun, as, as he described it to me, and we, we speak about this uh, in, in the podcast where I interviewed him, if anyone is interested in learning more about it. But this interesting idea that the word hakun is, is usually translated as good. And, uh, but he was saying on a deeper level, it means truth because that which is true is mm-hmm. inherently good. And, and mm. on another level, it means that which is life-giving that, which, that which feeds life, that which is in alignment with life. And mm. and so not good would be that which is, is, is not in service to life, that which is not true, that which is not good. And yeah. and I think it, it points to this interesting idea that you're speaking of, which is this idea that that destroying or fighting, especially destroying, is much easier than creating. You know, it's much easier to say, well, to point out all of the problems and say, well, this is what's wrong. This is what's wrong. This is what's wrong. Let's tear it down. It's much more difficult to look at that. And as you said, to create something new out of that, to to create a way forward that actually serves life rather than perpetuating that idea of dividing life of of you know and it's not that it's not important to point out things that are wrong but the the yeah. way through that is to create is to 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 unite life to to transcend these dualities and to to actually create something from that um it also reminded me because because we have a, a mutual teacher, Ernesto, and and I remember one day he was talking to us and he he said something like, uh, "Curandero no es fácil, no es he he, he ho ho ho." <laughs> 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 you know, usually yeah. he's a man of of a few words, so that that was pretty much the whole teaching, but. But uh, that really impacted me because, you know, even from him, who I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for and, uh, you know, really a, a faith in his ability, uh, you know, very clearly saying, like, this is not an easy path. Like, this isn't just some joke no. that uh, that anyone no. can become. So where do you think that difficulty arises? And uh, I mean, because, again, being a Cordon can also be an archetype of, of, of a human being, of life. But where do you think that difficulty, especially in that path of of becoming someone like that, why is that such a difficult path? Because as you said, I think a lot of people come to it and are like, oh, this is amazing. Like This is what I want to do. Mm. I'm going to be able to heal all these people and communicate with God and love, and it's going to be amazing. And yet... Any yes. of the the really good ones I met would never say that. I mean, it it, it brings up another uh, example when I was <laughs> when I was working at the temple at the end of uh, the retreats, we often do like a kind of like a, a little gratitude thing where the, the guests come and and they can express uh, words of gratitude towards the the, the healers or, or sing to them or share with them something. Um, and I remember one time that this woman, uh, she started asking them questions, which we usually don't do because it's it's not really like a, a teaching session. It's more like a session mm. of gratitude. And and, and you know, she was kind of like, you know, you guys are so amazing and you just must be operating from this place of love and light. And this work must be so beautiful and they just kind of all looked at each other (laughs) and it's almost they they didn't know how to how to respond but but finally the 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 guy who speaks the best spanish he's like uh actually we're we're guerreros like we're warriors and and this work is really difficult because we're constantly like having to go into darkness and try and bring order and try and extract these things (laughs) and yeah i could see like she was kind of shocked because that wasn't the answer she was she was expecting it's it's an
1: interesting aspect to to shamanism but and it's often uh kind of glorified as you say as people you know experiencing bliss all the time or experiencing oneness and certainly for your for your work you will experience that but actually if you're if you're working with somebody who has some affliction uh some darkness your job is almost like um, a dustbin cleaner. Um, to to not, it's it's not a glorified job. It's um, you are getting down and dirty, and you know helping that person liberate from those energies. And so that experientially is often not a particularly nice uh, experience. Um, and often you would need to traverse uh, many trials in order to liberate that energy from that person and or yourself um because it's not like you're completely immune from those energies and you're a current so they're imper- you're impervious and they completely bounce off you it's not like that in fact you know often in my experience sometimes you actually need to take those energies upon yourself in order to liberate those from that person and and again whether you do that with love, whether you do that through force is either way, um, you suffer through that process um, and sometimes you suffer greatly and, um, you know, and so, so, you know, the work of the Corander is never done. You always have to keep cleaning yourself from, you know, the energies that you build up around you or the energies that you build up from, from the people that you're healing um and so it's you know it's 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 difficult work um and because you are interacting with these energies sometimes (laughs) sometimes life gets really difficult because uh for whatever reason um things are attracted to you uh because you are you know trying to work as a force for light um So things will sometimes try to stop you doing that. That's, um, you know, and sometimes that's incredibly difficult. I don't know anybody who's been on this path that hasn't experienced extreme suffering. Um, It's just the way it is. So, um, yeah.
2: Yeah. Can you talk a little more about that? Because... I think that's also something uh, which is really important, which a lot of people don't necessarily think, but uh, I mean, that's been a a big part of my journey and learning process and and the people I've worked with is is often this idea. And again, it's a very common shamanic motif, which is this idea of suffering. And and even Mm -hmm. when working with other people, there often is this quality of taking on something to be able to release it. Or to, to mm-hmm. transmute it, or even if it's not taking it on, like really going into that person's experience, and and sometimes mm-hmm. that can be a, a very dark place, a very hellish place, and and learning how to navigate yeah. that, how to how to clean that, and and I think it's something that, um, and and I think I was probably guilty of this too when before I started doing this work was was not valuing the work that these people were really doing. And uh, you know, even things like arguing <laughs> yeah. about price, like oh my god, that person's charging, you know, fifty dollars for a ceremony. <laughs> and, you know, someone else is, yeah. I can get it for twenty. And but then yeah. stepping back and realizing, like, that is a tremendous amount of work yeah. that that person is doing. Uh, yeah. You know, in in Western medicine, we we value doctors at 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 like the highest cost I, I mean medical treatment in, in most of the places we come from is enormously yeah. expensive i mean thousands tens of thousands sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars for yeah. certain treatments uh so but but that aspect about about either navigating or, or as you said sometimes even taking on that 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 illness of that person yeah it's um Yeah, I I mean,
1: you know, literally you'll see shamans, you know, they will need to, say, go on a diet themselves after they've done a particularly strenuous healing or they need to to go out and vomit. Or you often see shamans, you know, if it's something particularly bad, they will take it in themselves. They need to vomit it out for the other person. So they're literally, like you say, taking the illness on um, themselves. Um, And, yeah, I think... You know, especially if you're new to this, you don't really have an understanding of, yeah, the level of sacrifice these people are making on behalf of you to be able to liberate from your suffering. And it just seems like they're just singing some songs or, um, you know, they're just shaking a leaf. Um, Don't get me wrong. There are Simons who do sit there and (laughs) sing some songs and shake some leaves and they don't do the work. You know, there is a difference between somebody directly going in and doing the work and somebody just sitting back and just running a ceremony. There's a very big difference. So um yeah, it's an incredible amount of sacrifice that these these people people give. Um, not sure where I
2: was going with that. Kind of that idea of of taking on things in, in a way, because I think that's yeah. For for people maybe outside, that's not something that they would ever really expect. In a way, that 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 someone is is helping them to take on that to 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 be able to navigate it. And, and it's also this interesting dichotomy because, you know, at the end of the day, there is a huge part of this work is is that the, the patient themselves have to do the work. Like they they have to be willing to go yeah. into certain things as well, and yet right. not also realizing that the that the space and and in that kind of co-creative experience, what the, and as you said, there's certainly plenty of people who aren't doing that work, but, but very skilled doctors, practitioners, uh, healers, however you want to call them, are doing that work. Um, Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And,
1: and when you do get a skilled doctor in this way, um, they are relentless. They will not stop until they have taken care of what they need to take care of. You know, whether that means seeing for you know eight, twelve, fifteen hours, they are relentless. Um, <laughs> it's um, and it's not like they don't experience fear as well. Um, especially in a very dark ceremony, it's um, you know, things are arising from people: fear, anger, all these emotions, all this darkness. And that, you know, it's not like the shaman doesn't is immune to that. They are sitting within it and experiencing it, and their job is to drive through, it, drive through it, and try to liberate those energies from every single person in the ceremony. They only feel better themselves when they've liberated it from everybody else, and even then, they might need the, a, you know, two-week layoff to be able to recover from that. But, um, but, but, yeah, it's just, it's you know, when I saw that, you know, there were this the level of, of danger even sometimes at these Sharon's experience. It's, it's really no joke when, you know, sometimes their their, their very being is on the line in order to, um, heal some of these certain conditions. And I mean, whether that sounds like folly to you, I don't care. It's true. And, uh, it's, um, yeah, I, I think we need to have, uh, more respect and more of an understanding of the skill level of these people. And it's not something that can be learned and laid down in a book or taught in a workshop or, 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 or spoken verbally. This is, uh, this is something, a skill by which th- they have obtained by interaction with the spirits and, and dieting and incredible amounts of long sacrifice in the jungle, fasting, um, abstinence from foods, from sex, from social interactions from life really um in order to help you um and so yeah i think and and as well it's you know that thing about reciprocity if you're going into a ceremony with your arms crossed thinking about how you paid fifty dollars for this ceremony and how it's a rip-off you're not going to get a very good healing and that's not because the shaman doesn't try because you're not open to it. You're not prepared to let go of your stuff because you're holding on to this resentment in yourself. Um, he's not going to be able to, he or she, is not going to be able to help you as easily as somebody who is completely grateful, trusting, open-hearted, and is able to give up their stuff to the shaman who's trying to help you to get rid of it. Um, like, he, they can't forcefully take it from you. I know, I'm sure they can't, but it's... It's much easier for them if you allow and work with them, and work through your things, and allow your spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical body to unravel from this from this constricting, uh, noxious, uh, you know, force that is that is that is uh, taking you over in whatever way. So um, you know that surrender is 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 vital. So you need to work with a shaman that you trust, that you believe in, that you admire. Um and how do you find that it's um you know you you need to look in their eyes um, you need to first and foremost, like we say don't look for somebody who's powerful don't look for somebody who's even you know i 'd even be wary of somebody who spoke about how virtuous they are and how they're, they're, they're an incredible hero or anything like that anybody who believes that the medicine is them you know i'd run away from. The medicine is the medicine, and, and the shaman is just the conduit for the medicine and works alongside with the medicine in order to be able to, to uh, free the participant. Um, but I think first and foremost, the best shamans that I've ever met in the world are not, um, you know, highly spiritual being that you know with a glowing halo. And that, maybe that exists, but I've never seen one. The, the 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 best shamans that I hold closest to my heart are the ones that are the most human they're the most down to earth they're the most you know humble they are they don't put themselves or, or anybody else other source so uh, those are the ones that you want to look for
2: can you speak a bit about uh, your your journey because a lot of people listening to this uh, uh, have worked with with especially ayahuasca maybe to 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 a slight degree tobacco um what that was like your your time in the amazon and and working with some of these plants like like ayahuasca tobacco different different trees different diets you did um obviously you don't have to speak of anything you know personal that you don't want but just mm. kind of what mm. some of those uh, experiences were were like for you
1: <clears throat> yeah again it's um you know I, maybe i'll talk a bit about i mean i've talked to some about a little bit about the ceremonies that i experienced in peru and you know often um often they would be teaching experiences um in, in the ceremonies in peru and that may be you know say teaching you how to sing even um or how to uh or receiving icaros you know that's a common theme that happens with with diets and working um, with these forms of shamanism that songs will come to you when i say come to you they're almost like spirits unto themselves so um one shaman i worked with said that you would you would chapper, you would you would catch the you would catch the icaros and and even in certain ceremonies, I've seen a sort of moving through the air almost like like snakes sort of coming close to your ear and whispering their sound into your ear and and, and, and asking you if they could enter your body um, so once they live in you, and whether that's perceived through a dream or through you know usually during the course of a diet, um, you'll see those in dreams or you receive those. Um, maybe just even walking down the street suddenly that that's how I used to receive them it's just walking down the street and experiencing this almost like I would experience a feeling like I was going to uh, vomit actually and instead of vomiting what came out was a song and um, it was almost like this vibration would start vibrating in my stomach and just kind of explode out of my mouth that's that's a really interesting thing about icaros is that they you don't sing Icaros. They're not songs. They sing you, in a way. You're the instrument for the Icaro, <laughs> in a way. That's the way I always see it. Um, and, you know, they come from the plants, and they they have a life force kind of unto themselves, and they they express uh, through you. Um, but in terms of the, the the diets I underwent with Inesto, maybe I'll talk about that a little bit. It's... Um, well, firstly, the, the diets were an experience of um, liberation from perhaps the last vestiges of the, the slight that was done to me by the uh, unscrupulous uh, shaman that I spoke of before. So many powerful dreams of being attacked or um, um, having to defend myself or um, until those dreams became um, a vision of me seeing a person, that person so far away that they were looking for me, but they couldn't find me. Um, and I remember that was the one of the last times I ever experienced that person in sort of my uh, in in my life. So, um, and then as the diets progressed, it was an experience of a sort of deepening. Actually, it was interesting with the diets because, um, you know, with Ernesto, as I, as I say, I, I've undertaken a lot of diets, um, you know, both with other shamans and, and on my own as well in, in the United Kingdom, which I'd probably like to go on to a little bit. But um, w- with the diets of Ernesto, it was almost like this uh, this this path. This At the beginning, I would have dreams that were very powerful and, and sort of dreams of flying and... and um, you know, being up in the air and liberation. And then the dreams kind of counterintuitively would become um, much more hazy. I'd have dreams of being in dark tunnels. And so for me, that was kind of an expression of the, the medicines of the trees kind of going much deeper into the body and working on much deeper aspects, which perhaps even I couldn't perceive at times. And I think that's, you know, certainly where the faith aspect comes in, because, you know, you've had all these amazing experiences at the beginning and then they go away, but that's, it doesn't mean nothing is going on. It was only until, you know, towards the end, towards my final series of diets, um, you know, that's never final, but my final at that time, um, that I would experience, again, this kind of re-emerging from this underground place to uh, a more liberated perspective and actually uh the final dream i had on the final day of my diets was the next day was me um working with uh working at mcdonald's and it was a beautifully clean kitchen but there were no customers and i remember very clearly seeing the uh one of the one of the managers uh Labels, and it said, and it was all in gold, and it was shining, and it said the word "charm." And she said to me, uh, "Your work is now done. Um, you can have some time off now." And she opened the door, and outside was this, all these trees, and they were trees from England, actually, but they were multicolored and rainbowed with quite jewel encrusted, and it was. An, this incredible experience of stepping into this beautiful energy. And I looked up the day after the meaning of sham and it means blessings from God. And so I remember, th- I remember thinking, wow, uh, that's, you know, just, just how, and that's another expression of faith as well, you know, that, 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 that time through the diets when you didn't think anything was happening, that you just thought, right, why am I doing this? And you, you know, ex- you're experiencing again, again, a lot of suffering um especially with drinking tobacco you know it can be quite uh arduous um and sometimes painful but um you know this this moment that it all came full circle and then you experience this uh, liberation um you know and then everything from then on i lived in complete bliss there after (laughs) um of course that's not true but uh you know actually the diets what happened afterwards was was really for at least 6 months but probably you know more honestly more like a year of integration of those processes and it almost felt like these these incredibly strong energies were inside me that were still working away and expanding and opening and that would throw me into some actually feeling um, again going into sort of bliss and then darkness and then bliss and then darkness and other people I've spoke to sort of experienced this as well it was almost like a replay of the diet but in high speed and that would that would repeat over the sort of course of the year and those oscillations would, would eventually slow down until they flattened out into a plateau of stability but um yeah, I remember that being being incredibly sensitive, having spent so long in the jungle, you know, in isolation, uh, away from people. To sort of, um, you know, coming back and then on my second week, deciding it was a good idea to go to central London, for instance, and you know, <laughs> frankly, almost experiencing like PTSD from being around those that many energies. I mean, it was incredibly overwhelming. So there's a strange paradox of working in this way that you become on one level stronger and another level, you become more vulnerable in a way because you become a lot more sensitive to
2: things that you wouldn't have perhaps perceived before. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you, why do you think the trees are so important? You mentioned that near the beginning of, uh, of uh, the conversation, um, Certainly, in many of these Amazonian traditions, trees are considered the the the, the kind of the ultimate plants that are dieted uh, yeah. that they they have a tremendous power, a tremendous wisdom and an ability to to heal us on the physical level, the mental, emotional level, to connect us on a spiritual level, Then even even as you were mentioning in, in in some of these more Western shamanic traditions, like like the fairies and uh, the the druids. Uh, from what I understand, even mm. a lot of the druidic language is based around I think seven different trees. And um, yeah, in, in North Native American traditions, these were these were like the medicines, the teachers. I mean, almost all of us. You know, maybe pop aspirins or something without maybe even realizing like that that's the willow tree that we're taking, that it yes. you know, also has this beautiful beautiful effect on the heart. Um, why yeah. do you think in, in so many of these traditions that, that the tree? I mean, even you look at Buddhism, like yeah, I, I don't think it's probably a coincidence that the Buddha received his enlightenment under a very particular tree um so the the garden of eden you know the, the tree of, of yeah. the knowledge of good and evil why do you think that's such a, a a common motif not just in the amazon but but really around the world
1: yeah it's a great question it's it's uh on so many levels i mean yeah on that physical and medicinal aspect it contains you know so many uh vital minerals and possible medicines within trees but they're this incredible storehouse of uh, life. You know, they um, live for hundreds of years. Um, they are one of the largest beings, if not the largest being uh, on the planet, bar perhaps, you know, fungi, if you, want, if you want to consider them to be like one unit of being. Um, and they contain this wisdom. They're very old. Uh, they are a conduit You know, they connect to both the earth and the heavens um so they have this they'll like the shamans will often speak about the trees having um both a light and a dark aspect and they'll even talk about you know collecting tree bugs from the light and the dark side of the tree to sort of draw in those dichotomous energies and they're both considered important for healing because if you don't understand the dark aspects then you are not able to heal those in other people um So, and, and, you know, traditionally they're considered to be kind of the wisdom keepers. They are, you know, teachers and kind of storehouses of knowledge, which has been passed down from generation to generation. Uh, They are also the kind of the housing place for the spirits themselves. You know, they are like an ecosystem for the spirits in a way. So, yeah, like you say, in the British law, the... Various fairies were associated with uh, different 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 trees, um, and I mean, <laughs> I mean, it. I, I don't know if I should tell the story, but I mean, I I have had experiences with uh, fairies, as as ridiculous as that sounds. I've had experience with fairies um, through dieting with. With British trees, which, much to my surprise, um, but uh, that that was that was very clear. And something very interesting for me about dieting with the British trees was that it almost felt like my palpable experience was that there was this almost over eagerness to interact on a spiritual level with you through partaking in the diet. And almost the sense that, you know, people in times gone by would have connected to the trees on a spiritual level, and there was some mourning for that time. And so, it, I just found, you know, I I'm not I'm not comparing the British and the Amazonian trees because, you know, um, they're, they're very special in their own way. But for me dieting with the british trees i just felt because they're connected to my ancestry um it was a much more direct and speedier way of connecting uh with the plants and um there was a like a very willing and open interaction instantaneously um uh with with the british trees which was very uh
2: very beautiful very nourishing very um very healing It's interesting because often certain trees are, are given certain qualities. Uh mm. maybe like Ayuma is considered a a protector. And as Ernesto would say, it's like you have this 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 uh this kind of uh these war tanks now at your disposal. And um I mean I've I've told this story a couple of times, but but I remember when, when I died at that tree and he was saying that in the beginning, I was like, Well, this that's just you know that's just kind of his fantasies. Uh, that's, that's how he sees the world. And, and uh, you know, I had experienced these amazing things with these trees, which is why I continued. I, I mean, it was the first, I think, experience of of dieting where, especially with tobacco, that first diet where I felt something very profound, it was an extremely challenging experience for me. Um, mm. I, I thought I was going to die the first night, the second, <laughs> night, the third night. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. until the fourth night where I, I, at least okay, didn't good. have that sure. thought of I was going to die, uh, um, <laughs> but it was fascinating because um, you know with that tree because I often use that as an example. It was it was a number of years later, and and I can't remember whether I was uh, helping to facilitate an ayahuasca ceremony or a diet, but but I went into this very strong experience of, of kind of chasing after this this very like demonic being. And it, it, yeah. at the time, it seemed like the strongest thing I had ever faced. And
0: and mm. at
2: the same time, I was extremely scared, but also surprised that that I was continuing to go after this thing. I mean, almost surprised in my own courage in a way. Mm. And we ended up going up the, the to the top of this like skyscraper and and battling. And, and I thought I had defeated it. But then at the last second, it like jumped through this window and into this abyss. And, and I was kind of standing at this open window, like looking down, like, oh my God, like I, I lost it, like in almost this sense of like disappointment. And then all of a sudden, it was like someone turned on a light switch. And in that blackness, it was like thousands of lights turned on. And they were all of these, like, uh, these, these warplanes, And all of a sudden, with a force that was just unimaginable, they just started destroying this thing all at once. And it was gone. And then the lights turned off. And that was it. And for me, like in that moment, I realized like that was that tree. That's what he was talking about. And it it came mm. to aid me in a way, but it's an interesting phenomenon. And I just bring that up because so. often certain trees are given these certain qualities. And, and I often remember in the beginning thinking, well, is this just, you know, if someone tells us this, then we, we naturally begin mm-hmm. to think that or to dream that, but, through having done this work now uh, more and more it's it 's a common motif that I see that people experience certain qualities when they die of certain plants or trees that even if i don 't implant yeah. that seed before there 's these very common things that come up so i, I don 't know if that 's a common experience for you but but if it is, where do you think that 's coming from? Because I think for a lot of people like we we may realize that in a certain way. Like we, we would drink chamomile to, to calm us or, uh, you know, rosemary may have a lot of like internal heat or fire. So maybe people use it for their hair to stimulate hair growth. You know, there's still a, a very strong tradition in some sense of, of, of using plants because they have specific qualities. But I think most people, if we said, well, this tree has a spirit, it has certain teachings that, that only this tree will teach people would be like, that seems kind of crazy. And yet also from my experience, that's something I've seen to be true. So where do you think that's coming from? Because you also mentioned this idea of like of, of a fairy. And that was a very common thing in a lot of Western shamanism was yeah. that each tree had its fairy. It, it had its property. It, you can even look mm-hmm. at a lot of these old. Dr- I mean, I was really fascinated a, a number of years ago. I, I remember seeing this, this old painting and it it was about fairies and she was surrounded by By different plants but the the plant she was sitting under was towe or datura or devil's trumpet Mm -hmm. and Mm. is that just completely random i would doubt it (laughs) 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 it Mm. it seemed like a very specific sign of like hey this plant that's that's what it's inducing is this experience of this particular thing
1: Mm. yeah i i think it's in the same way as yeah, like a different color would have a different effect on on your being, or a different food. You know, curry is very different from ice cream, for instance. It's uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that's a good analogy, but yeah, certainly different plants they do carry different energies, and they have have perhaps dichotomous energy. So, for a rose, for instance, does have like a very heart opening property, but it also has the thorns, which are an aspect which, you know, can cause harm or, or is used for protection. Um, yeah, I don't think it's the, it, it, yeah, because I've had um, also, you know, many experiences of experiencing those properties of those of, of the trees, um, you know, through ceremony um, and experiences of sort of becoming the tree or being enveloped by, protected by, or assisted by these plants and trees or um taught by um or communicated with by Um, so i have um experienced some of the 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 law in which the shamans talk about through those ceremonies even the little people that i talked about in the beginning you know they were particular to a tree which i was working with at the time Um, but in it in other aspects as well i've also experienced the opposite where somebody will talk about a tree as being this aspect. So particularly, you know, some trees I've worked with, some people may consider to be, you know, all trees have an aspect of dark and light, but some people consider them to having more aspects of of darkness within them that needed to be sort of transmuted and understood from and learned from. Um, But my experience in fact was completely the opposite. In fact, so filled with light, and bliss and beauty and, and 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 sort of divinity which was completely surprising uh, uh, to me. Um, so I think, you know, there is an aspect that, you know, the plants have a personality and they have a nature unto themselves. And much like, you know, the humming, uh, the, the the bumblebee likes a particular plant in my garden, which has uh, nice blue flowers, you know, uh, birds might like the, uh, the rose bush I have up there. So different spirits, I think are attracted to different ecosystems of the trees, I, I'd imagine and um yeah i think it's i think it's a bit like that there's these
2: kind of ecosystems which develop around them. um yeah you were speaking about when you were with the bushman and this dance and and this idea that they were putting this thing in your stomach the, the i think you called it the the noom um yeah and it's it's something i've experienced and i think a lot of people have uh, i think you also mentioned this idea of heat and you were also Mm. referring to some of these other traditions like like in in some of these chinese traditions the dantian where we're holding this power and it's something i very much experienced with tobacco with 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 different Mm -hmm. trees was this like internal heat and and also this sensitivity that you mentioned i I, I would often remember coming out of diet and just wanting to go to a Quito's just to like be surrounded by some life. To, you know, <laughs> to yeah, and then, of, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. and then regretting it. Yeah, And then usually regretting it. But you know, like one of the things is I, I would want to check my phone to like to just say to, mm. to friends and family, like, "Hey, I'm, I'm still here. I'm alive." But I I would remember very clearly, like, after a few seconds of holding this phone, the heat was so intense. It was almost like I was feeling the heat coming from this phone into my body, and it was this internal heat. And I'd have to put the Mm. phone down because it was too much. And just remembering, Mm. like, through a lot of that process, it was like there was this internal heat that was developing, um, and mm-hmm. and that also again seems to be you know you're even mentioning like this this uh, I don't know if it was a Tibetan practice but like this generating of an internal heat. Do you think that's mm-hmm. something that that's that's correlated to to some of these shamanic traditions and 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 why that is of of kind of generating this internal heat? I I, I do, and but
1: perhaps different um, shamanic traditions have different ways of developing this. Like, I would consider, you know, there is no real difference, I think, between this concept of, um, you know, they consider that comes from the animals or or even some plants sometimes. Um, There's one particular plant by which they believe that it comes from. But I don't think they would have much of a difference consideration between that um, and the um, which is acquired from plants um through through the diets so i think there is definitely some relation and in fact you know even when i went to um to see the Bushmen, they you know they said that you you are already full of of none so i must have acquired that from somewhere i think it's from the work with the plants um so what is that it's it's perhaps best um Best describes as is, is, is life force, I guess. Um, it's uh, in, it's it's in every single tradition, like you say, from Tibetan tomo practices, where you're developing this internal heat from kundalini practices, from qigong to the different uh, shamanic practices, but they all have a different way of kind of developing this. Um, yeah, and, uh, you know, whenever I spoke to uh, shamans in Peru about it, they've always said that that's the power of the trees whenever you experience that heat coming up in a ceremony. I'm sure you've experienced ceremonies where you have just an unbelievable volcano of heat which kind of erupts from you, which uh, which is common after you've uh, experienced the diets. It's that um, expression of the medicine kind of coming through you and waking up. Um So the... The Bushman's way of making that medicine up was through dance and their way of acquiring it was through the touch of other healers and through uh, various other practices. Um, other healers might acquire that heat through uh, various dream practices or um, kind of uh, passing it on through the ancestral line. Others may acquire it through uh, dieting or through various uh, meditational practices even um so yeah it, it always has fascinated me but i've i've tried to do my best to kind of not uh try to uh boil down these practices and try to uh, assign unique unto themselves and, and 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 so they should be you know considered and uh, respected in that way but um yeah, it's an interesting dynamic that they will have Yeah. Yeah. And, and and you know, many many shamans they will, you know even in Mongolian shamanism, you know, when they experience the trance, that there's an usually an incredible uh, sense of heat that arises uh, from that practice. Yeah.
2: You also mentioned three words that 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 I find really common. Um in 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 a lot of this work one was this idea of death seems to be a really common uh archetype also you mentioned dreams Uh, and then the other was this idea of surrender like when you were when you were dancing it it eventually something shifted when the mind stopped expecting something and it just actually kind of the dance happened like we flowed with the dance Mm -hmm. it wasn't expecting to receive something or wanting something and and I think that's why also the word dance is, is used so so frequently like to to be able to dance with life to be able to dance with these these medicines and and this idea of letting go of surrendering of 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 of, of like a tearing down in a buddhist terms like the tearing down of 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 the beams of this house that's when finally something happens so I know that's kind of a big question, but, but those three words seem to be really, really common and really powerful. The idea of death, the idea of dreaming, because so much of this work does seem to be in that dream realm and, and that idea Uh, of of letting go.
1: Yeah. I think, I think many traditions in terms of the dreams, they consider, you know, they consider, you know, up to three aspects of dreams. So you have the, um, you know just the normal everyday dreams the the mind stuff which comes up you have like another level of dream which is more kind of prophetic and then you have uh, a level of dreaming which is like a direct teaching or direct interaction like a medicine dream which is a a truly an interaction with uh, a presence or a being Um so and they consider often in in all traditions actually those to be real, with a capital R, like you say, they consider those to be truthful. Um, But I think in, in terms of death and in terms of the dance, I think we need to, in order to experience something other, you need to kind of go very deep within yourself. And in order to do that, you need to let go of the boundaries which you've set up, your physicality, Um, your expectations Um, you need to completely dissolve them in order to uh, let go and dance with the energy and the spirits which are presenting in front of you so often I see people who perhaps are experiencing ayahuasca for the first time they will come in with a set of expectations or they've watched films about what ayahuasca should be Um, and they'll go in with this kind of mindset and so they are not experiencing what is presenting to them in that moment which might be an upset a stomach uh, various strange thoughts that are going on ahead but that is the experience that you're having and until you surrender and engage with that that's flitting around in your face trying to grab your attention but you're trying to look over here it's trying to draw your attention in so you to engage with it in a conversation if you're looking over here, you're thinking about your phone, or you're thinking about dinner, or you're thinking about um, those intentions that you're not getting, or oh, I'm not getting those wonderful visions, you're not going to interact with this. And this is the thing that's going to take you. I'm waving my hand, by, by the way, anybody who's listening to the podcast. Um, that's That thing that is waving in front of your face is going to be the thing that pulls you into that other realm of other, other reality the other state of existence that teaching um so you have to you know you have to be um you have to humble yourself you can't go into this stuff being big you have to be small and when you're small you get out of the way of yourself and then you're able to experience what's there to experience and i think with life as well you know you know, it's very easy to go through a whole day and then at a blink of an eye, you look up from your phone or your computer, especially those people who, who work on a computer and you know it's dark outside and you you can't remember anything about what's happening the day, you're not really experiencing it you're you're kind of locked into that reality, aren't you locked into this kind of cyber reality, but in the same way as you can easily lock into that cyber reality, you need to lock into a more way of connecting to nature. You need to get out there and engage with the plants, really see with your eyes, really experience nature. Um, and that's the way we're going to connect a bit, a bit deeper to nature, as if we, we surrender into that, we, we immerse ourselves in that and realise that we are, um, you know, small creatures, animals, beings of nature and, and position ourselves in that way
2: you're also speaking about this idea of the heart and 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 what a common theme that is you see it in christianity uh, i mean the jesus is very often represented as as like his heart is on fire it, it's it's full yeah. it's full of love it's full of light um yeah i think even the the egyptians who I, i've always been fascinated with and i, I could be getting this wrong but uh, i remember it was really interesting because even when i was younger th- th- from a more Western perspective, there was very little focus on the heart that that even this idea of consciousness of the mind of, of everything was focused on the brain and mm. for the Egyptians, they said like the seat of consciousness was in the heart. And and I remember mm. reading by you know kind of academics, like, well, they just they were silly, they didn't know. We actually know that it's the brain that's doing these things. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but but for them, it was the heart. Like that was that was the seed of yeah. the soul. And 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 again, that seems to be such a common thing. Um why do you do you have any sense of like why the heart is such an important uh like organism? Because I think we can A lot of us like realize that in some way too, like we get, we get heart pains. I mean, even when we're speaking about love, Mm -hmm. which is what so many of these, these traditions are pointing towards, you know, we, we, we have like a pangs. you know, we say a broken heart when we, when we lose that love, like the heart is a very, very sensitive organ, And yet something that we don't necessarily put a lot of thought into. We, you know, even in so much research, like it's, 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 it's a neural pathways and (laughs) (laughs) it's it's almost like we forget about this, this, this organ, which literally, you know, even like the word spirit, it, it comes from like these Latin words like like respirar, which is the same word as mm. spirit, to, to breathe and to, to have that, that inhale, exhale, that beating heart, the, the expansion, the contraction is, is truly what it means to be alive.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you for that question. Such a beautiful question. I mean, I, I was watching a, a little documentary on YouTube last night about the life cycle of a chick. Okay, and the very first thing which is developed in a chick is its heart. Like you will see, the very first thing that develops is a small, uh, one millimeter beating heart. So, this is, um, I believe true for humans as well, though is probably gonna crack me. Um, that this is the first um, organ that's developed in our body, it's the first point which receives uh, life in us. Um, in various Sufi traditions, you know, the uh, seed. Of life is placed within the heart. It's that aspect of God, um, which is a part of reality, has been positioned in your heart. And it's that connection uh, to life that you have. So it's something that we need to foster. Again, in super tradition, they talk about that the heart is obscured, that it's covered with dust, and that we need to remove that dust in order for it to reflect cleanly the light of blessings. And so yeah and literally every single tradition that I've seen the the soul, because I, I, I'm fascinated by the question, what is the spirit, um, and where is it? And without fail, every single tradition says that the the spirit is somewhere within the, the chest cavity, from the uh, uh, ziphoid process. Um, up to the, uh, the the neckline somewhere within that region and um, so and and they have just they're just very clear with it I, I just every single time I ask where's the spirit oh, that there. there you go and um and you know different traditions have different um, interactions with the spirit, perhaps they have different conceptions of the spirit. I would say the people who had Um, The most definite and kind of refined understanding of what the spirit was, was actually uh, the Aboriginal healers that I worked with. We had a very direct, visceral understanding of the the spirit, how it worked, how it would move, how it interacted, how it it would leave uh, through dreams. And um, for me, that was very interesting. Um, But I think it's as simple as it's, your your connection, really, to divinity. Um, often expressed through the crown, um, from the heart, um, which is why you see, you know, various paintings of, of various saints with, with a halo. Um, but, yeah, it's your connection to divinity, and it's your connection to your own spirit, which is the, the closest thing that you have to divinity. It's your own personal divinity also. Um, so, yeah, anybody... Uh, wanting uh, to connect more deeply with anything uh, spiritual you need to focus on the heart and that's why you know sometimes I see things like um, say the mindfulness practice Um, I think sometimes such practices not always but sometimes can become uh, quite cold and and, and hard um, because they can be quite uh, uh, mental uh, mentally focused. They don't have that aspect of uh, the, the warmth of the heart. And so I, th- I think this is a really important aspect to bring into your, your practice and ground yourself in that being of the heart. Um, you know, in all, in all spiritual practice, when you say prayer, for instance, it's not good enough to just say a prayer from your, your mouth. Um, you need to say the prayer from your heart. Um, you need to feel it. You need to embody it. You need to embody that gratitude and that feeling. The same with the echoes. They're not sung from your mouth. They're sung from your heart. You know, they're expressed from your, from your chest and they, they come out. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it's always fascinated me. Uh, the faculty, faculties of the heart and the mysterious nature. It's almost like a doorway, um, through which you can sort of enter other, uh, modes of being um i actually have a library of like thousands of pictures or hundreds at least um of images of various representations of the heart or the spirit um from various uh, places around the world but it's yeah it's a fascinating subject for sure
2: yeah it was even just remembered i mean in 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 the egyptian tradition when when one entered death, the, you know, there, there was all of these tests and trials and tribulations and journeying. I mean, it seemed like so much was so much of that knowledge was a preparation for death. And, and yet like the ultimate thing was the weighing of the heart on the scale and and the heart had mm-hmm. to be lighter than a feather and and for yeah. me that really represented a lot of that too it's like we we carry all of these blocks and beliefs and and traumas and th- these things and and they 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 weigh our heart down they they keep our heart heavy and to be able mm-hmm. to free of that is is to make the heart as light as a feather and i, I just i always found that such a beautiful uh, metaphor It it is and i, I think you know if if that's the ultimate
1: work for the the Corindera, I think that that's probably is the ultimate work for the Corindera is to remove that those um that obscuration uh, uh from the heart and to help uh, liberate people uh from that so they can connect more deeply with themselves um it, it's something that that you know I encourage everyone to to work with you know do, do research I think there's a beautiful uh, practice uh, from Tibetan Buddhism called meta practice, which I'm, I'm sure you're aware of, which is, um, you know, visualizing, uh, sending well wishes to various people, and sort of encouraging that ember of uh, uh, well wishes and good feeling and um, meta to develop in your heart. And it's an incredibly powerful practice, and especially. One that is is very good for mental health and mental well being.
2: So one of the things you mentioned, and, and this is where uh, we, we might start to get in some some dicey water, um, but you were mentioning this idea of, of like destroying the box, and and you were also speaking about I think this really important idea where you said uh, this idea of worshipping false idols, and. For me, that was kind of also tying back to this idea of faith that, like as humanity loses faith in something greater than ourselves, as we lose this idea of God of this disconnection from nature, we begin to worship false idols and, and the false idol being man being humanity, man, woman, however we want to look at it but but the you know even in a religious tradition, I think that was one of the beautiful things about. At Judaism, about Islam, about Vedic philosophy, was there was idea that we don't worship false idols, that, that the true essence of life is ineffable. We can never, you never go to a mosque and see an idol because they realize it can't be put into a form. Uh, you look at early Buddhist temples, there was never a statue of Buddha as a man. It was something ineffable. But it seems like as we begin to, to <clears throat> become disconnected to that, to nature to god to faith however we want to look at that we start to put our faith in man in in an idol in a form uh that can be reduced and 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 i think throughout history that's where so much suffering has come from when we begin to worship false idols and and you see that in the extreme when you see people like stalin or mao or or pol pot and you know really the horrific consequences and and You know, I don't think that was a coincidence that with all of those people, they were very anti-God. Like God was the the antithesis of what it meant to be alive, because that was a false idol and everything could be reduced. Everything could be controlled. Everything could be controlled by the state that we knew everything. Humans know everything. Uh, we're, we're more powerful than nature. I think that's where a lot of like colonialism comes from is this idea that we can conquer yeah. nature, that that man has more wisdom, has more knowledge than Than the thing we come from, you know, very much like this beautiful Zen uh, saying where they say like a knife can cut all things, but a knife can never cut itself in the way Mm -hmm. that man can know all things, but it can never know itself with that tool of the mind and and it seems like you know so much of the suffering that that we're kind of creating ourselves comes when we begin to worship false idols and that so many of these systems and and you know that was one thing that that we kind of had in common that that we realized was kind of beginning to point towards this this phenomena that we're seeing which is this this idea of worshiping false, false idols which is very often in the form of a state, in, in, in the in the form of a of a controlling body where we put our faith in these things and these organizations. And I think very often for me, and I think that's where a lot of this plant work is so fascinating, because I think the primordial emotion that we're dealing with that, that, that again like blocks the heart is this fear this fear of life. Mm. And I think so much of like what we're experiencing in the pandemic, even it comes from mm. this deep sense of fear, this deep sense of fear of death. But when we think it's someone else's job to protect my life, then we're willing to mm. give up life itself in order to protect this, this kind of false idol and just the, mm. the, the very dangerous road that, that that's heading down and that, to me it seems like again there's maybe not it's it's maybe not a coincidence that in this time where we seem to be going down that road of darkness a lot of these plants are beginning to emerge and and you know it, it's tricky. I think to speak in terms of like universal truth, and that you know because I, I work with plants, I have some grasp on universal truth, and that's certainly not what I'm saying. But it does seem much like that that Shipibo word of hakun, that a lot of these plants are pointing towards universal truths. Uh, you know, something that's that's beyond the the known something that's that's true beauty that's 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 pointing us towards joy towards peace and to experience death so that we can truly live so that we're not living in that fear of avoidance of of that that all of our actions must be to avoid death which ultimately keeps us from truly flowing dancing with life and and so i know that that's kind of a long a long tangent but it, it was something that connected us because of of, uh, of some of the things you were sharing so i was wondering if, if you could speak mm. a little bit about that about kind of what you see yeah. humanity is moving towards in, in this time
1: <clears throat> yeah interesting
2: I, I think some of the the first thing that you learn in
1: especially work with ayahuasca is that You know, we we come from a place where we think our thoughts are our own. We have these thoughts that float around the head and they come from us and we we develop them and we thought of them and, like, they're unique to us. But you realise very quickly we working with us, but they're not. They're not from you. They were from your ancestors. They're from somebody who ushered something in your childhood. They're from the news. They're from the media. They've been implanting you. Very, very few thoughts are your actual own thoughts. And so, you know, we kind of lose our compass because we get get kind of co-opted by various different ideologies and we all need a higher power. Whether your higher power is the government who you you believe that, that, you know, they're all telling the right thing, it's the media who you believe that are telling the right thing, Um, or it's your heart and whether it's God. I think we've come to a place where we're getting our morals and our um, belief in reality Spoon thread to us at the moment, which is an extremely disturbing place to be because it seems like anybody who uh, dares to question an orthodoxy um, is shunned or um, called various names or dehumanized in some way. Um, these are all mechanisms that have been used obviously throughout history and for a very long time, so I think that's a really dangerous uh, precedent to be to be going down and I think it's, I just see those dynamics playing out more and more and to be just to be frank um I see at play somewhat of what I would call um ideological possession um which is you know these ideas which are not your own have been interested so much that you you, you are unable to see um any other uh argument or any other form of logic or any other form of reasoning um for me the highest principle must be life and that's such a beautiful word that hakun um you know if you listen to um you know some people may not like him but i, I like him very much as um is, is jordan pearson who talks about you know mythology and archetypes a lot and has a lot of wisdom and i believe. And speaks uh, to this idea of truth, and his interpretation of the idea of truth is that that brings life, or that that brings goodness, Um, which is you know almost identical to that idea of the Queen. And so, if we are, that I think is the is the compass and the gyre stick by which we should measure our ideas and our our direction is. Does this bring more life? Does this bring more beauty? Does this bring more um, more giving, more goodness? Um, and I don't think we ask ourselves that, and we just blindly follow um, some dictates which are handed down, unfortunately. So, I I've, I wasn't sure whether I was going to talk about this, but I, I've really, I've, you know, I, I've come to a few awakenings myself in this uh, in this time. And really educated myself on the way in which uh, financial institutions work, in which, um, you know, the web of money. And if you ever want to know how the world works, you just need to follow the the money. I mean, if you look at any, um, any of the large, any of the large, let's just put it this way, any of the large institutions that are um unelectedly giving advice these days you will see a very clear uh web of interaction like if you look at any of the board members from any of these large corporations do the job yourself go on the boards and look and you will see that they are one and the same even if you go on google yahoo finance and look up any of these organizations whether they're news organizations pharmaceutical organizations whether they're military organizations you will see the same shareholders there time and time again. So, you know, it's, it's not a conspiracy theory to say that you live inside a constructed box, whether you know that or whether you don't. Um, the box is constructed by money. Um, if at any point uh, somebody says on the news for you to buy Tesla stock, that means the institutions will sell it. You look at any point on on MSNBC and they tell you to sell Tesla it's because the institutions are buying The whole system is set up in order to protect the interests of institutions. If you think I'm a crazy person saying that, you haven't done enough research and you haven't looked at your sources enough, highly controversial for me to say, but that, that is essentially the world we're living in. And so, yeah, these are four-sided ones that are developed. Um, and they are put in front of you. As uh, shiny tidbits for you to to follow and be guided by, um, but I would say that you shouldn't be getting your morals or your your personal uh, virtue compass from uh, TikTok uh, uh, <laughs> influences or from Facebook or CNN or Fox or uh, BBC or anything, because um, you have um, a God given right um, to connection, to this connection to nature, to this connection to the divine, to the connections to the ancestors, to the connection to your heart, to the connection to nature. And nobody can take that away from you. That is the position, that is the compass that you need to come from. If anyone, anyway, you know, take your take your guidance from your own personal ancestors. How would your grandparents act? How would your great grandparents feel? in the current situation, how would they feel? How would they act? Like, take, uh, take your inner guidance from your own inner guidance. Uh, it's so important. And just because I used to have these dreams when I was a kid about standing up in front of uh, thousands of people who were telling me that I was incorrect standing there and saying, saying to them, no, 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 I believe that I'm right. And there's been, <laughs> there's been examples, many examples in history in which the majority have been clearly extremely, extremely wrong. And so the herd is not the right way to follow. The herd is certainly not the right way to follow. Um, So it's just, yeah, it's just a very dangerous time where we're being, um, where a lot of people are being completely dismissed where literally um, entire like 50% of Entire nations are just being completely dismissed or told to be, um, you know, whatever words you want to fill in the blank, um, various dehumanising terms. And when you dehumanise an entire population of people, um, going back to the Bushmen, you know, go and listen to every single person's view, no matter how crazy. It doesn't matter if you think they're conspiracy theorists, it doesn't matter. You need to listen to them. Because if you don't, then we are in incredibly dark and dangerous territory. Because um, when you dehumanize uh, entire populations, incredibly terrible things can happen. And incredibly terrible things have always happened. I had a teacher when I was uh, at university who told me that the likes of the Holocaust could never possibly happen in time today. And that is an incredibly naive position to be in because. You know, things do play out through history time and time again. So we need to be very, very careful about the direction that we take things. Um So that's my little rant. But um, yeah, I think, you know, just go inside yourself and go into your heart and follow your grandparents and follow Martin Luther King, follow, you know, like great people of history and follow their guidance. you know. Let's not follow... People on Facebook, and, and quite frankly, we have some quite imbecilic uh, leaders around the world right now. And, and you know, I, I don't think it takes a conspiracy theorist to see that. Um, so and you know, going deeper, you no, know, it's um, again, if you if you want to know what's going on, just follow the money interest. It's not that this stuff is hidden, it's not. It's, it's very clear and plain to see if you just, if you just do a little bit of research. But you're, um, I think that's the issue. It's anything that is not spoon-fed to you by a, um, an authoritative force, a, a state-sponsored source, is considered crackpot. Um, but you have to understand that these institutions are following the edicts of their uh, funding partners, of their advertisers. They're not of their board members. They're not gonna go get against, get against that. So I'm not telling you who they are. You can go and find that out for yourself. There's a cursory glance on Yahoo Finance, a cursory glance at their board members. It's very easy for you to do. So I'm not saying, I'm not trying to prove anything to you. You can go and find that out for yourself, but you know, I'm just trying to present to you a different way of looking at uh, these institutions. Um, you know, we've, we've come to a place where we, you know, we, we never used to trust large institutions or corporate interests until now we somehow see, uh, you know, Facebook and Twitter and these organizations somehow, you know, virtuous protectors of the truth. I, I don't know how we got to this place. Um, it's a complete inversion of the previous liberal values. Um, so I, I yeah, it's an incredible place to be, but that's where we are. So, uh, interesting.
2: <laughs> for for me it seems, and you know, I don't know if you'd agree, but but again, as we were talking about with this plant work, uh, again one of the the fundamental pillars is this idea of light and dark, and uh, mm. you know even things like dark magic. I, I think you alluded to this a little bit, but not that it's something to be avoided, but actually that it's something that that, that we need to go into because if we avoid it then we never fully understand its power and then we can be ruled by that power Th- these things yeah. that we consider even black magic things like literally power uh, envy greed jealousy uh, lust uh, covetness you know these are things that that in so many traditions i mean i mean those probably sound more like Christian things of sin or darkness. But even in things like Amazonian shamanism, those would also be things that are black magic. Those are things that that have fame, money, and all of these things. And they're very, very powerful. And I think that's yep. why they're seen as black magic, because if we go down those routes, we can be easily, easily overcome by those. Because all of those things seemingly, as you said, even like with trees, there's a light and a dark side. Like money mm-hmm. can have a light and a dark side. Fame can have a light and a yep. dark side. Power can have a light and a dark side. But if we give in to the dark side, then we're following that road of of black magic of of being under the clouds yes. under the spell yeah. and it it seems like it's that's why it's so important i think in this plant work to really understand those things and to go into them ourselves to to see them in ourselves because if we're not able to do that then it's so easy, you know, like like again these classic parables, like let let him who is without sin cast the first stone, and mm-hmm. we're so easy to to judge or to point the finger to say, well, this person is evil, while as Jesus said, you know, not seeing seeing the the, the speck in our neighbor's eye and our brother's eye, but not seeing the log in our own. And unless we truly go into those things, as you mentioned, things like the Holocaust and Hitler, how did that ever happen? It seems like something uh-huh. very foreign. And yet, if we can't see that in ourselves, then those things become so much easier to happen because we we have these blinders on and we're not able to see how these things truly manifest in the world. And, and it seems to me like you know, for the people who are really willing to go deeply into this work, it was very I think very beautiful too there There's a samurai named uh, Musashi, and he said, When you understand the way deeply in one thing, then you can see it broadly and I think it's very yeah. similar when you can see when we can see these things inside of ourselves and and to battle with that to to go into it to to yeah. to transmute it to overcome it, then we begin to see it in all things and and we can see it as it manifests outside and there's there's this other beautiful quote which I think is, is, is quite important in this time. And it's, it's a, it's a very old saying, but, but I think uh, Bruce Lee said it more recently. And he said, I I would rather be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. And, Uh and also like you were mentioning Jordan Peterson, I think he says it very beautifully too. And, and again, I think people who find him controversial are much, as you said, people who have just been fed what the media is is telling them about him rather than actually listening to, to his own words, because he's, I think he's also, uh-huh. he's a beautiful human being, much like these people uh-huh. like Joseph Campbell, another beautiful human being who really has the ability to take these ancient myths and archetypes and really transmute them into into like very this worldly kind of knowledge and and what does that mean mm. what were they pointing to um but he was saying that 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 in the bible this idea that the meek shall inherit the earth that that for some reason that never really resonated with him he's like that doesn't seem to make sense but but it seems like when you begin to look at at the the, the deeper teaching of that what was being pointed towards was this idea that it's not the meek or the weak who shall inherit the earth it's the, it's the swordsmen, those who know how to wield the sword, but choose to sheath it. And, and I think that's right. a, a very powerful metaphor because it much like martial arts, very similar to how we were talking about in the beginning, it's like in order to be peaceful, you have to know violence. In, in order right. to be a bearer of light, you have to understand darkness. And if we don't, if we don't really begin to understand that, then those things become so easy to manifest in the world because we don't understand the root of that. We don't understand how easily those things can be uh, spread. And, and, and that's where I think so much of this work of, you know, people like yourself of others who have gone really deeply into this work, because it's, it's a very common thing I see too. And, and I think there's a lot of fear of speaking up about what's going on in the world, which again, comes from the ostracization, the censoring of knowledge, but the, the people who I've seen who've really gone deeply into this work seem to share like a very deep concern about what's happening in the world. They, they, they seem to uh-huh. be seeing a, a very common thread that, that's happening through censorship, through, through state-powered consolidation of power, through economic consolidation right. of power. Uh, through loss of liberty, through 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 silencing people, and a very dangerous thing. And it's it's not inherently something I see in, in again people who just do plant work because I think it's it's something very different if you go down and you do you know one ayahuasca ceremony. And then all of a sudden you you think, you know, everything, you know, as, yeah. as we were saying, like the path of the curandero, it's a path of like, it's an arduous path, something that's very difficult. It requires a tremendous amount of, of suffering of sacrifice. But I do think the, the other end of that is, can I be a bearer of light? Like, can I, can I help the world? And uh, I was speaking about this in one of the other podcasts, like the, the true cordandero he's never someone Who's just off in the woods by himself because he's not able to affect change that way like he has to be part of a community she has to be part of a society to be able to 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 bring that balance to bring that harmony to share that knowledge to share that wisdom um so it's uh i mean again maybe that's kind of a long rant but it but it's it's definitely something i i see very strongly and and, and something that that i think we're we're headed in in a very very dark direction and and uh, it's it's nice to see other people kind of taking a stand against that because it can it can be very scary when when as you said the majority of the herd is against us and 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 you know putting these labels on because it's so easy well that person's bad or they're evil or they don't care about grandma or they're they're a white supremacist or they're a chauvinist and it's it it, mm-hmm. it cuts you know much like that word hacoon, like it's against life. It's like, it doesn't allow life to fold, to grow, to evolve uh, much like plants. It's like, there's this amazing intricate network that's happening and all of these plants have the opportunity to grow and they have an opportunity to learn from each other to, to see, like they're all trying to move towards the light and eventually like they come to a balance based on that, on like what's mutually good, but it's not from, you know, suppressing or saying, well, well, this tree can't grow because it's, it's inherently dark or it's inherently evil. It's like, well, let's, let's let it grow and let's let it see. And, uh, so, yeah, I guess that's my rant. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we, all, we all get
1: one. Yeah, it's necessary. Yeah, I think it is um, a difficult time to speak up. And obviously, you know, we're, we're ourselves dancing around these, these various subjects and people will interpret that how they will. But, you know, I, I think I defined medicine, you know, as that flourishing, beautiful aspect of, of, of life, of God's love, um, you know. But to define uh, dark magic, I would define it as that which separates you from that. That medicine that separates you from that God's love that separates you from your sovereignty as a human being and your rightful place in the dominion of nature and under God's uh, in, in God's place like under His care. You are separated, and you know this idea of, of boxes again. You almost like I think. I'm saying this another day. I don't know if this is a great analogy, but you know, essentially I think what uh, you know, by taking away that position, you're putting people in a box and every now and again, you, you kind of feed them a banana and they're sort of, thank you very much for this banana. That's very nice. But actually unbeknownst to the person inside the box, the world is filled with an infinite amount of magical bananas and so there is an infinite amount of abundance out there And so you know but you're just led to believe that you're inside this box and the only giver of bananas is that this this uh this state or this media uh representation that is the all-powerful um it is a disturbing place and i would liken it to witchcraft in fact there's a, a shaman that i very much respect that said exactly that that this energy that is percolating through the system right now indeed does feel like witchcraft very powerfully um, and so how do, we, how do we battle that I think firstly we, we need to be brave and we need to speak up we need to speak up from our heart we need to speak up um, and give light to, to that dynamic because it is at play, there is a dynamic at play. And after we've done that, I think we need to paint a, a, a more beautiful picture. And what does that beautiful picture look like? I think, I think we really need to get to a place really quickly that people are, we need to get to a place like the Bushmen where people listen to other people, where you see their humanity, no matter what political inclination they have, no matter what their belief in COVID is or the vaccine or whatever the hell it is, it doesn't matter. No matter if they believe the earth is flat, whatever. You can't dismiss people just because they believe something that's crazy, that you think is completely crazy. It might be completely crazy. It doesn't matter. You need to listen to them because they are humans like you. You can't dismiss entire populations of people. They might not be crazy. I think a lot of conspiracy theories have been borne out to be true in the last year or two, and like nobody can deny that. A lot of things that people have said have been complete, fat, shit, crazy conspiracy theories have been borne out to be true. And anyone on any side can see that. And so those people might not be crazy. They might just have something meaningful to listen to. Maybe not everything, but maybe some things that they're saying are worth listening to and so I think we need to get to a place where we can um, open heartedly listen to all sides of any argument just like the Bushmen do in a fire circle and come to the other side um, in a place where we can, where everybody has a place, everybody has a place Um, because we need to be able to to live together and we mustn't be swayed by um, people who have uh, interests, you know, whether that's financial, whether that's power, whether that's anything else. Um, and do your own research on that because <laughs> i have got prepared to go into that. But, you know, it's, um, you need to, you need that compass to return to yourself, back to humanity, back to your heart. Um, I think it's really, really important that we do that and we do that quickly.
2: Yeah, it reminded me, uh, people. People often send me messages, uh, and especially recently, in the last year, year and a half or so, about what what the Shipibo see like in this worldwide situation and and I can never really answer that. I mean one because I'm I'm not shapibo <laughs> Uh two, you know, there 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 it, it it is a real group but it's also a group comprised of individuals and and every individual yeah, correct, has different yeah. views on things. Uh but I have noticed more and more uh speaking to 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 some of the Shpiebo healers who, who I have a lot of respect for and, and it, it does seem that there's a common motif which is this language of there's something very nefarious happening in the world and, and they're not speaking about the virus they're speaking about everything else that's that's happening around that uh this yeah. this climate of fear even often using these words like diabolical there there's like a diabolical energy that's this descending and yes and, and trying yes. to control and 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 to to dominate and um you know i think that's that's very interesting because in in a lot of ways, it's certainly changing, but, you know, a lot of these people still live in, in, in the forest and communities. Uh, they're not, you know, super in touch with like what's going on in the outside world and, and, you know, what are these things, but, But in the way that they describe it through their own personal experience and visions, to me, they seem to be describing uh, things that that I see maybe in a different way from uh, Mm. just my own experiences, my own observations of this kind of very dark, diabolical uh, quality that's beginning to happen so uh, if anyone is listening uh, who, who has that question what do what do the people see that's 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 also what I can relate and with the caveat again that everyone's different and, and certainly you know I'm sure there's there's people who have different views on that as well
1: well absolutely and I think that's a very point a very good point as well about individuality that we need to see people's individuality again I think we've been for some reason, in the last year or so, we've been very quick to divide people into groups, whether those are racial groups, sexual groups, uh, political standing groups. Uh, this is not a good way to divide people. Everyone's an individual. Don't okay? care what color you are, what political persuasion. There are, you know, a million different views against, against different people. You can't categorize people in these swathing ways. It's um, incredibly dehumanizing. Um, we've learned throughout history that putting people into tribal groups is not a great way um, to uh, operate yourself unless you want to sow division, unless you want to ostracise people from society. So that's what really what we're, we're going through now. So, um, yeah, I think an increasing pe- amount of people are speaking up um, about it, which is uh, in- incredibly important. Um, um, you know, there are, you know as as I say I, I won't go into this too much but um um there are you know incredible changes happening um that you just need to open your eyes to in terms of the the, the way financial institutions operate in the world and there's a, an incredible consolidation of wealth happening a transfer of wealth unlike we have never seen before this is a grand theft on a scale like never seen in human history and yet it's not being spoken about um you know the digitization of your being um your form of money for instance um is a, a process which is happening very quickly and again um anybody who thinks i'm a conspiracy theorist you need to look on the federal reserve website the uh, central bank uh digital currency website you need to look at the world economic forum website you look at any of these websites and you will see that the plan is to uh, digitize um your id and your form of money spending um and centralizing it into uh, a central banking system now why is that dangerous it's dangerous because um it's dangerous because uh, by all intents and purposes you completely give up your freedom um anybody who speaks out about against the government at that point can have their funds uh stopped much in the way um that china is currently uh, doing with their social credit system. Um, That is a reality which does exist today and it exists in China. Um, I happen to know a few things about that, having lived in China um, and and having many friends who live in China. Um, So, you know, I personally do not want to live in China um, or um, abide by um, um, rules laid down by such an organization. Uh, so, um, yeah,
2: <laughs> and, and, and you know, as you were saying, also uh, about this idea of division, I, I mean, those things mm. seem like they shouldn't be very divisive. I mean, whether uh, you know, speaking from a, a, a more like American they point of view, be. whether you're on the right, like a, a more libertarian, limited government perspective, like there's a very deep distrust of state power of of mm-hmm. the, the need to control of, of the war machine of the, the, the distrust of financial institutions uh, uh, centralization of money, centralization of power. That's a primary concern on the traditional left as well is like the, the, the concern of power, of the abuse of power yep. of, of beginning to divide pe- people into class and, and creating that warfare and, and the, the, the continual centralization of of power of wealth of control um and yet you know as you were saying it's 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 a it's a classic way of divide and conquer you, you pit people against each other to where they see themselves as the enemy rather than than the very thing that that's happening and you know for me, it hasn't been surprising because there are things these are things that I've seen happening for a long time uh it's uh-huh. just in the current climate i i have been surprised with the the speed and the, the, the worldwide uh, just the capacity that it's happening on a worldwide scale, like how quickly it's moving in that direction and, and how little resistance there is to that with that to me has been, been quite surprising. And it's uh, you know, these things like these, these liberties, which are, are so important and it's it's something else I hear a lot in 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 I think uh, some people who are involved in this work, but involved more in an academic way, and I think they they tend to bring a lot of those academic ideas to this work. But you know, for me, one of the one of the qualities of a lot of this work, a lot of these indigenous communities. You know, there's a real aspect on personal power and personal freedom of the ability yeah. to, to think, to have a direct communication with the divine that, you know, as you were saying, like with the the Bushmen, like there's not inherently a leader with uh, with the, like I uh, was speaking about the two boo, like when they sit in the circle, everyone has a role. There's not a hierarchy of like, well, this person is the ultimate leader, and everyone has to to do what they dictate. And if you don't, you're you're ostracized. Quite the opposite. Everyone is seen as is having a power. Everyone is seen as having an inherent wisdom. Everyone is seen as having a role. Uh, and if those things aren't honored, then we 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 move towards that ultimate dictate that that centralization of of power of wealth, which for me is completely. Uh The antithesis of how nature works, nature works in this mm-hmm. unbelievable, complex, harmonious, absolutely decentralized system where everything is is interconnected and woven and and blooming and flowering and dying and birthing in this way that we have to try and understand that in in any <laughs> in any significant way. It's 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 overwhelming, and I think that's one of the things that that often these plants give us the ability to do, is to sit in that sense of awe, in that awe of creation, and the unbelievably complexity of of not just the earth or humans, but of life and and of the universe, and you know to to think that that we have the the power or the knowledge to try and uh dominate that or control it or to set it up in a system where we know better uh not only seems naive you know it's ultimately very very dangerous yeah absolutely i agree so i i mean
1: i I pray for us i'm sure we can i mean we've come this far guys so i think we can, <laughs> we can make it through you know um but you know you know all this uh talk of dark magic and these powers or these uh, you know these forces in these institutions i mean there's a reality to that but the reality is only as strong as we we let it be actually we have all the sovereignty and all the power that we could ever want um, you know humanity is a collective force that true uh, social cohesion you know if we if we say no we are choosing our own direction and we are sitting down as one tribe and listening to all of the voices and we will not ostracize anyone. You know, I'm seeing beautiful pictures from around the world of people holding hands and saying we will not be divided. Um, You know, this is the kind of path that we need to walk down. We will not be divided. like, don't care who you are. Don't care what conspiracy theory you're coming out with. i are gonna hold your hand. We're gonna walk together into this new future together that we want to create, not that they want to create or somebody wants to create that we want to create
2: together yeah there's a there's a beautiful tale that that I, i've said a few times in this podcast but this guy who i mentioned amika uh and the the tubu they they had this beautiful story um and they call it the Diro Amasads, the the children of the new dawn and they say that that um uh, like they 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 knew you know these these were ancient tales but they knew their time was going to come to an end uh but they said that, that, that essentially like every every tribe, every group, every wisdom tradition uh had their had their power, had their knowledge. They they were they were like the guardians oh. of this very particular knowledge. But that we're entering a time of the Dirdo Amasa where it's the children of the new dawn, of these children who don't necessarily see themselves as one particular lineage, but they're able to take the beauty, the the, the knowledge, the wisdom of these different traditions. And and as they say, to build a new maloka, which is the the traditional house, the the house of worship, the house of ceremony, and a representation of the world, of the universe. So, you know, literally to create a new earth, to create a a new world, based on the wisdom of bringing all of this knowledge together and, and really honoring what they would say are the four cardinal directions, the medicine of the North, the medicine of the West, the medicine of the East, the medicine of the South and creating this new Maloka. And, uh, you know, I think much like you were saying, that's, that's hopefully where we can begin to move is in that aspect of creation, you know, not destroying, not, not following the darkness, but, but following the light, like creation, you know, creation is life. That's in, and again, in any tradition you look at, that's, that's the creation of, of life is, is that creative aspect, that creative force. So, uh, you know, really embodying that and, and, and choosing in our actions and our thoughts, how to, how to be that creative force.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's let's, uh, let's all get together and
2: build that. Maloca.
1: Let's do it.
2: <laughs> well, cool, brother. Well, we are, uh, we're, we're a bit over three hours. Now, well, yeah. yeah. Wow. oof. Um, is there anything uh, you'd like to touch on that we, we didn't get to
0: I think
1: I'd like to leave people with a quote um, a quote by Marcus Aurelius uh, I like to say it to myself you know when times are dark when you can't see uh, the wood for the trees but it's uh, true understanding is to see the events of life in this way you are here for my benefit the rumour paints you otherwise and everything is turned to one's advantage when he greets a situation like this. You are the very thing I was looking for. Truly whatever arises is the right material to bring about your growth and the growth of those around you. This in a word is art and this art called life is a practice suitable to both men and gods. Blessings upon blessings. What then could be strange or arduous when all of life is here to greet you? Like an old and
2: faithful friend beautiful, my friend, well, that seems like a good place to to leave it and uh, lovely and it 's been a pleasure having you on man thanks for thanks for sharing your your story and your wisdom, and uh, that that 's really what this podcast was about to to get people like you a platform to to create that new earth and and to 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 bring as we said old friends together even if not in in form but in soul and 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 to connect and to grow so i wish you all the best man and uh, i have a feeling like Thank we'll be we keeping in touch more and and i hope our paths cross Absolutely. one of these days in the not too distant future and i'll uh uh I'll, I'll give Murav a big hug for you and uh and i wish hey, you all the best too. man yeah
1: Thank you. Thank you. No, it's a pleasure to be on a podcast and, and to uh, have the time to be able to tell my story and have that listened to with open heart. And uh, yeah, I hope everyone uh, received something from this podcast. And uh, guys, let's uh, let's build that maloka together, like you say. If anyone wants to reach out to me, you can just hit me up. I've got a very small Facebook page called Watiwara, W-A-T-I-W-A-R-A. Uh, if you want to just yeah touch base, you can do that. But uh, till then, uh, yeah, nice speech to you, mate. And uh, I'm sure we'll see each other in person soon enough.
2: Yeah, maybe just uh, actually before we head out. So if people want to reach out mm. to you, they can do that. And and maybe uh, if you mm. can just uh, tell the audience what, what you're doing now, like what work uh, you offer, or uh, if people are interested in contacting you, how that would work and, and what they can expect.
1: Yeah, sure. So I have a small Facebook page, which is very unkept, Um uh, which is just Watiwara, W A T I W A R A, which is uh, a, a name I was given by some Aboriginal healers, which just means big man. I don't know if you can tell on the <laughs> podcast, but I'm about six foot six. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I I do diets for people. I provide um, build that connection with people so they can diet with British trees um, and build that connection with the land here um, also do some healing work with people and that might encompass different things. So work with tobacco or work with acupuncture or massage or any of the other modalities that I've learned through, uh, through time. So, um, yeah, it's, it's work that I love to do. Um, so yeah, if anyone wants to reach out to me is interested in that, just, uh, just let me know. So.
2: And you're based, uh, you're based in, in England. Yeah, I'm based in England, in
1: London. So, uh, great
2: well thank you my friend it's been a pleasure and uh, and i look forward to when we connect again thanks man
1: no good speaking to you Ta-da.
0: All right, everybody, that is it. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, For me, it was really a pleasure to sit down and talk with Ben. Uh, We covered a a, a real range of topics and it was a fascinating conversation for me. I learned a lot about him uh, and and just uh, his path and and, and kind of reflecting ideas back off someone is, is always a really fascinating thing for me. So I hope you enjoyed that episode. Thank you all for tuning in. As always, if you're able to support the podcast, that's a really big help to me. Patreon. On is a really good option. For as little as a dollar a month, you can sign up. There's different tiers you sign up for, and it gives you back some really nice things, things like early access to shows, bonus material, Q&As. So that's a really big help uh, to continue to bring on these guests. To all the people who have done that, to all of the patrons, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate all of your help and support. Um, and if you're able to do that, thank you in advance, because that's a really big help. There's also the option to direct donate via PayPal. I'll put a link to the, both of those in the show notes. Um, also now with YouTube, there's the option to Join the channel. There should be a little Join button if you're looking at it on a computer. Um, And that gives a lot of the same perks as the Patreon page. If you're not able to do that, As always, subscribing to the show is a really big help on the YouTube page. uh, Subscribing, turning on the notification bell, liking the video, that's a really big help. And then if you're listening on the audio version, going on Apple Podcasts or whatever uh, format you are listening on, subscribing to the show uh, with Apple Podcasts, uh, leaving a, a starred rating and a short review, that's also a really big help to getting this show out to a bigger audience. Um... I have some good guests coming up. Uh, I'm interviewing my friend Kunti, uh, who uh, she works with Temazcal, or Sweat Lodges, uh, a traditional Mexican practice. She also works with 5MEO DMT, the the Bufo Frog. Um, I have my friend Paulette coming on. Uh, She has a a bunch of different backgrounds. And um, I'll be also speaking... Uh, with my friend Ido coming up Uh, he was uh, we did an interview with him and Diana in one of the previous episodes this one will just be with him Um, and I I believe a couple other guests coming up but I'm I'm not remembering off the top of my head so I hope you enjoyed this episode thank you all for tuning in I hope everyone is doing well and I will see you all on the next episode